All right, hello and welcome everybody to the fifth episode of Memory Card Memoirs. My name is Sterling Silver and I'll be your host as usual. Uh, and today I have a very special guest with me, Brandon Alvello from HP Critical. And he honestly does way more than that because he always seems like <laughs> he's on the move and always streaming and doing stuff like that. Brandon, how are you, man? Oh, man, it is fantastic morning. I'm happy to be here, Sterling, like elated, in fact. This is probably one of the few games you could wake me up at this time to record. It's not even that late, or not even that early, but, <laughs> right. like, you know, I prefer recording at night just for the mood, but I love this yeah. game so much that I'd record at 3 in the morning if, if you wanted me to. As would I, as would I. <laughs> so how's it going? What are you up to lately? Oh, it's been a busy few days, actually. But, right. um, you know, I've been doing this the, the occasion of the streams for, for uh, Twitch on our HB Critical uh, Twitch site, you know, recording podcasts, writing articles, all that good stuff. Um, getting back to my normal normal job as well in the in the, in the uh, personal life. But, yeah, definitely been doing a lot of stuff lately. Things are, are like, opening up a lot more down there, aren't they? Like they light? certainly are. Yeah. They certainly are. And um, I, I don't want to <laughs> announce it exactly what it is that I do to uh, all our listeners, but I can tell you that if what I'm doing is opening up, then we're certainly getting close to uh, opening up everywhere. Yeah. See, up here in Canada, <laughs> like we're uh, right in the middle of another lockdown, and it's oh, probably going to be announced in a couple of days that it's being extended because every time we open up too early, and then it just gets worse and worse, and I think they've kind of learned that, so... Yeah, I can see that. That sucks. But let's not think about that. Let's think no. about the game we're talking about today. Uh, Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door. Freaking huzzah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, you and I were initially going to talk about like Fire Emblem or something like that. But then I saw you tweet about Paper Mario and I was like, oh, man, I bet like if I know your taste well enough, I bet you love Paper Mario. So I asked you, you damn like, right. I you're do. like, hell yeah, <laughs> let's go. I was yeah. like, well, we're doing the episode then like right now. I want to talk about this game. It, like when thinking about doing the podcast, that was like top five games I wanted to talk about right away. So thank you oh, for yeah. giving me the excuse. The pleasure is mine. Uh, so tell me about some of your history with this game. Like when did you first play it? Where were you at in life? Okay. Yeah. So. With me and Paper Mario on um, the Thousand Year Door, so uh, of course I played the original on N64 back when I was a very wee lad, and I absolutely adored, adored, adored the original Paper Mario game. It was like, I guess you would say it's like the very first console RPG I ever played because RPG because I had played Pokemon before that, but that which you know that was my gateway to RPGs, but that was a handheld game. This one was the first one I played on a console, and the commercials for the original one were like ridiculous. It was like Bowser about to put Peach in a paper shredder or something yeah, like yeah. that. And then Mario swimming like with like two frames during the water to go get her. It was a weird commercial, but it was enough to get me to buy the original game. And I absolutely adored it. Um, somehow, that game came out in like 2001. And somehow in the three years before Thousand Year Door, I probably played through it at least three times somehow. It's, um, the original has like such a different charm compared to Thousand Year Door, but it's still like just as good, like still just as high quality. It, it's... I don't know. It's something about like the Toad Town music when you first walk in, and you're like, "Oh, oh this yeah. is awesome! This is such a cute, oh, yeah. but like well thought out game." I'm sorry. Continue. I wanted, 
No, you're fine. I just want to point out real quick to everyone listening that um, the Thousand Year Door. I'm gonna I'm gonna go into more detail and profess how much I enjoy this game a little bit later. But I'll say this much: originally, when Thousand Year Door came out and I played it, um, it was I still liked the original more, and I think that was mainly because of nostalgia purposes. I like I still adore the original one certainly. But like nostalgia, I think was keeping me from like kept me enjoying that game a little more than Thousand Year Door. It's only years later, after playing the Thousand Year Door um, and playing a whole bunch of other video games, that I realized how special this particular one is and how much it means to me personally. That it finally like uh, put itself above Paper Mario and many other games. Again, I'll go more into that later. But to answer your question about how I got into Thousand Year Door and where I was, that was around 2004. Um, at the time, you know, obviously it's very different now. I'm, I'm working as, you know, <laughs> co-editor-in-chief of, like, a gaming website. Mm-hmm. So I keep up to date with all this information. But back then, I didn't see as much information. I just wasn't as much internet inclined back then. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know they were making a sequel to one of my favorite games on the N64 <laughs> until I happened to wander into a Toys R Us back when those still existed and found, like, a kiosk for... It was called Paper Mario 2 on the kiosk. It was not called The Thousand Year Door in this kiosk. So this mm-hmm. is an early-ass kiosk, but there it was. And I was like, oh, my God, they're making a sequel to Paper Mario? So I had to go check out this kiosk and start playing it. And again, it said Paper Mario 2, so this is an early build. You had the first two party members, Goombella and Koops, but they had different descriptions for their party members. And the demo had you in Hooktail Castle. And I was just messing around with it. And I just loved the way the game looked in this like early build of it. And I was just I just couldn't wait to buy the full one. Sure enough, I found out it came out to stores, the Thousand Year Door. Of course I had my GameCube ready to go and I picked it up. So I was quite young. I when Thousand Year Door came out, I was just twelve, like around twelve years old. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I played it, I loved it. It's uh and we're gonna go more into detail about how much I loved it, but it was it was a it was a transit transitory experience for me, I'd say. Do you think it, it kind of shaped your early or mid-teens at all? Because it, it came out... Like, those are pretty uh, formative years, right? Certainly, certainly. Um, as far... It didn't really shift my gaming taste per se. And um, this is going to get a little personal. But back during my middle... I hated my middle school years. I just want to point that out. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a lot of friends during middle school years. So I was more or less enjoying this game privately. It wasn't until I grew up years later and met a, lot of, a bunch of other like-minded people that are now, I'm happy to say, are my close friends, that I was really able to express how much this game meant to me and, and such. But yeah, I, get, I, I mean, yeah, it's in a way it kind of formed me, but not too much, I would say. It's just more like the memories of what the game meant to me more than what it did for uh, to transform me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you have any memories like l- later on in life with the game? Because I... Oh, like- yeah. I have certain experience I had when I first saw the game, but then the game also affected me pretty greatly, like, years down the line. I don't know if, if you have any similar experiences. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Um, I can give you one specific memory right off the bat. So, because I enjoy this game so much, obviously, I've I've, I've played it through to finish more than once. And um, I have a, a little nephew. He just turned 13 not too long ago, but quite a few years ago when he wasn't even double digits... Um, this is obviously years before I started doing streams of games on like our Twitch, but like, you know, I wanted to play Thousand Year Door and every now and then he'd be interested in watching me play a game with the uh, play a game. So I was like, Hey, why don't we just uh, sit together and just play through the Thousand Year Door? And he would 
watch play, and he would watch me just go through the game, and that was basically like our little bonding moments. Anytime he happened to visit the house, mm-hmm. and yeah, we just went through the whole story that way, basically. And uh, he saw everything. He saw the entire story, and I'll never forget that. It was it was it was a, it was a wonderful way to go through that game again with the through the eyes of someone that hadn't. And yeah. I can tell you right now, at some point, I'm gonna be streaming this game. I don't know how. But I would love to have that same kind of experience with like a lot of people that would be care that would care to watch. Mm-hmm. Did is was he the kind of kid who just kind of listened, or was he constantly like like what's that? What are you doing? Like you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, he was just kind of enjoying the ride, if I'm being honest. Like mm-hmm. all the all the unique stuff, all the wacky stuff that had all the twists and turns that Thousand Year Door has. He was just enjoying every second of it and just seeing how it goes. That's awesome. I like. I always like showing kids or, or like younger family members games, but there's always mm-hmm. that uh, one younger kid who's like telling you how to play as if like right. you've never touched the game before. And it's like, dude, I'm, <laughs> I'm a master. Like, let's slow down. Okay. I could play this with my eyes closed. <laughs> I got, I got some little tips here and there, but nothing extreme for the most part. He kind of let me do my thing. Yeah. I, I, I kind of felt that little, like not even, little kid backseat gaming but i i put in the in our chat when um i was talking about like paper mario videos like the game grumps playthrough Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever watched that but dan is like terrible at that game and like just watching it because i've played it so much and i know like everything about the game i was just like oh my god this is painful to watch (laughs) like like even just things like stylish moves or like leveling up partners like he didn't know how to do and it's just like Oh my god, I'm going to rip my hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, I myself have a a pretty long history with this game. I was a couple years younger than you when I first found it. I was probably 7 or 8. Mm-hmm. And my older cousin had a GameCube and a copy of this game and and he was like the one like I I come from a very traditional like Portuguese family, like n- nobody really even after all these years, like I still explain to my family like what I do, that like I write about games. And, oh, dude, I'm the same. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the and, same, very much same. And you just see their eyes gloss over and nod, and they're like, "Uh huh, yeah." <laughs> it's like you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I've, uh, I've gotten those same reactions too, and I try and like I always try to simplize it because they just they just don't get it sometimes. I think the easiest way is like. You see those dudes who are talking about sports on like Sportsnet? It's like mm. I do that, but the writing form for games, like I just kind of comment on stuff. Oh, like, dude, I need to like, try that. That's a that's a good way to explain it, actually. Yeah, because like everybody watches some kind of sport, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but he was like the one cousin I had who was really into games and always like I just like sit and watch him play, or like he'd let me play like Call of Duty or something. It's like. I like this dude. He's, you know, he he probably got super sick of every time we came over. We just bug him the entire time, but he could just put something on. We'd be distracted. Yeah, um, that's good. But like, I, I was a huge, huge Mario fan back in the day. Then I saw this game, and the first thing when he opened up this game was like Mario dressed as Waluigi, and I was like, "What? Oh like, wow! So you, so so when you saw him play, he was a little in, huh? Yeah, he was he was pretty far, and I was just like, "How you can change your clothes? Like that's so awesome!" And like Waluigi's my favorite character, so I was like, "Yo, that's mm. so so cool!" And I just like saw him go through the battle system and kind of go around areas, and I was like, "Man, this is a a different kind of Mario game," and. <clears throat> 
I got mainly introduced through video games by the GameCube. Like I wasn't an N64 kid. Mm -hmm. I, I went from like Game Boy, like original Game Boy, and then to I had a uh, uh, a NES, and then uh, GameCube was like the first thing I bought with my own money. Oh, uh, sweet! Awesome. Yeah, I, I think I got like a couple hundred dollars at Christmas, and I was like, I want the cube, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then eventually when I got my own GameCube, I, I bought my own copy and and played through it and loved it. Uh, <clears throat> I don't even remember. I can't really remember where I was when I first bought it or when I first played it. But years mm. later, when I was a year or two into my first job, so I worked at McDonald's. Okay. And I did uh, a couple weeks of night shift. So I was working from like 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. Oh, dear goodness. And I think we got like an extra dollar or something. So I used that money oh. to rebuy a GameCube because I eventually sold mine because I'm, you know, I was dumb back in the day. Mm -hmm. And the first game I got was was Thousand Year Door because it's my favorite. And every night, like after my shift, it, it'd be like, you know, four in the morning. I'd, I'd come home and I wouldn't be tired. So I'd play one chapter of the Thousand Year Door and then go to bed. And like it, it was kind of like the... The cheese at the end of the the mouse maze, like it, it was. Wait, hold on. Just gotta stop me a second. You said you did an entire chapter during those periods of time. Like every night, I do a chapter. A full chapter. Yeah, I mean they're probably like four or five hours each. That's a lot of okay. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, I, I guess it's it, it, it's me talking. This is this is a very me thing. I, I take forever to do the game because I just meander and look at things too much. But go on. Yeah, it's, it, you know, I, I've played it so, so much that I've seen everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was, uh, it, that time was so special to me because I was doing Midnight's and it's like, I felt like a zombie. Like, I felt like I did not exist to society because like, <laughs> Midnight shifts just suck. Like, you're, yeah, they do. you're awake when everyone's sleeping and you're sleeping when everyone's awake and, and you can't really talk to friends or anything. But that game was like the, you know, my saving grace is like, ah, at least I get to go home and, and replay this experience that I really, really love. Right. And, you know, my mom would like wake up at eight or nine in the morning and be like, you're still up. I'd be like, yeah, I'm just playing this. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go to bed soon. Um, but I don't know. It was a super, spe like, it was a, not the best time at work, but like just playing that game every night really, really helped. Kinda. It helps you get through those like times that you'd rather forget otherwise. Yeah, with the just the monotony and and the sure. But yeah, it. Uh, that's pretty much my experience with this game. I still have it uh, to this As day. As do I. I actually I got to meet uh, Charles Martinet once, and I got him to sign this game. <gasps> Same here, though I didn't have him sign anything. <laughs> it's uh so my copy of it is just like riddled with all of his handwriting and because he oh, doesn't just nice. like sign his name he'll draw like smiley faces and like M's <laughs> and and like oh let's go <laughs> that's cool that's cool yeah it's it's probably one of my most cherished uh items in my game collection very cool i should i should do that next time um man he's a very positive dude like overwhelmingly oh, positive incredibly positive that man yeah, incredibly so you could just tell he loves like every second of what he does mm -hmm. i really really hope he gets to voice mario in the mario movie i feel like that would be please 
because he kind of said like oh, i haven't gotten the call yet and it's like nintendo please come on he is mario <laughs> Um, how do you feel about this game and like the Mario franchise? Cause it's, it's very, very different. Like it, it feels like it kind of built on past things. Like, cause it still has characters from like Mario sunshine and, mm -hmm. and it, you know, there's some good throwbacks, but it's a very different game when compared to pretty much the whole Mario franchise besides the previous game in the paper Mario. Series. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you brought up Sunshine specifically because, you know, this was a GameCube game. This only came out uh, about two years after Sunshine. So the influence, if you play this game, is certainly there. You have the Piantas who have their own freaking crime syndicate of all things. <laughs> um, you have the Shine Sprites, which are used to upgrade your party members, which was a neat little way to incorporate that. And yeah, there's, there's definitely some Sunshine influence. And that's something I've definitely noticed about not just this game, but every Paper Mario game that's come out hence, like, since then because... Um, it's it's <clears throat> very much influenced by the time of when it came out, you know, like um, mm. the original Paper Mario, you know, it had a lot of Mario references, of course, of what, what was out at the time. But if you notice, to fill out some of the enemies, they even had a lot of references to the game Yoshi's Island, for example, mm -hmm. like especially with the enemies and like the fact you even literally go to a Yoshi's Island at one point in the original. <laughs> and then with Thousand Year Door, it's, the, it's very much the same. You A lot of enemies, characters you encounter... You get some sun, sun, sunshine inspiration, inspiration from other games. There's even a Superstar Saga reference very, very subtly in that game with a mm -hmm. Cola Cola at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, in fact, I think the, the barista, Podly, he's literally from the Bean Bean Kingdom, is he not? Now that I think about it, yeah, he is. He must be, right? He looks, he's green and he, he has like the bean head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think him... Him and his uh, brother, I think, in the uh, Glitzville, are, I think, are both um, Bean Bean residents, which is very cool, because uh, excluding the spit the, the spin-off crossover Paper Jam, I don't think there's really been that much connection between the Superstar Saga games and the Paper Mario games, so for them to have done that here is actually very neat in retrospect. It's something I never really like thought about heavily until just this moment. But going to your question of how it fits into like the franchise... It really comes down to the fact that, you know, the GameCube has so many different kind of like interesting like Mario titles in of itself. Sunshine mm -hmm. was a definitely, it was a 3D Mario game, but it was a very different 3D Mario game in terms of what it was doing. And the same could definitely be said of this one. Um, as far as like what it's like impacted in terms of like gaming, it's hard to say that the Mario series itself has been too affected by this game, but gaming in general, I'd say definitely, and, and just People that enjoy this game in general have definitely taken to this game and it's meant a lot to them in that respect. So it has an impact in that regard. Well, even after 20 years, right? Like it's now getting spiritual successors like Bug Fables. And Correct. Yes, Bug Fables. Uh, there's another game I saw recently that was heavily inspired by it, but I, I, I can't remember the name. I, I actually heard the, the other... Pardon? The, the name of the Bug Fables game? What? No, no, there's I there's another game that's coming out that... Uh, another like, one, huh? The main marketing thing is like, this is a, a spiritual successor to the Thousand Year Door. And I was like, well, okay, I'll keep this oh, on Oh, not familiar radar. with that one. Um, but I, I've heard the GameCube era kind of described as like the experimental era because we do have a lot of weird and, and wacky titles with very established yeah. franchises, right? Like... Uh, you know, this game, Luigi's Mansion, Mario Sunshine, yeah. Metroid Prime, even like Mario Kart Double Dash. Like it's, it's, they all took a little bit of a weird direction and, and some of them kind of went off. Like 
you know, we the Metroid Prime series took off, and mm-hmm. you know, we have multiple uh, Luigi's Mansion games. But then this one kind of... <laughs> I would even argue Wind Waker would be considered one, too, because yeah. it's a... Yeah. It's a it's a very different Zelda game. Obviously, the art style is what introduced the whole quote Toon Link art style, and also had the sailing mm-hmm. to give you kind of like the open world. That def- definitely was an experimental title. And Double Dash, <laughs> people still want a new Double Dash or a, or a mode in a modern Mario Kart to have two people in a cart because they loved it so much. It yeah, it's still my favorite Mario Kart game. I'll just lay it out there. I love that game so so much. It's fun. It's definitely my second favorite Mario Kart game. Well, now I gotta know your first. It's eight deluxe. I absolutely adore the graphics, courses, and the the character selection could be a lot better. I'll be real, but like everything else about that game is just sublime. The eight deluxe. I still play it today. I was a huge, huge guy for Mario Kart Wii. I really, really liked that game. I thought it was fun. Plus, it's got Funky Kong, so that's fun. (laughs) Funky Kong needs to come back in like a Mario Kart game. Like, why is he only in Wii? Yeah, I don't get why they don't utilize the Donkey Kong characters a lot. Like to me, the Koopalings. Are kind of boring. <laughs> they're like they're. I yeah. get that people like them, but it kind of feels like they're always just thrown in to add to a roster. Yeah, now they are for sure. Like it used. To, I mean, it, it was a while that they were just not in games at all, right? And then yeah. after Super New Super Mario Brothers, we specifically they came back, and now they just won't leave. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Uh, maybe one day Mario Kart Nine will come out. <laughs> it doesn't seem like anytime uh. soon with how good Eight Deluxe is selling. Right. Um, do you like? Do you consider Thousand Year Door like any kind of comfort food? Does it make you feel any sort any certain way when you play it? Because to me, uh, there are definitely games where I play it and I feel comfort, or uh, I play it to feel certain other emotions. But this game, uh, and we will probably get into this a bit later. Like it, it has so many different feelings to me. Uh, it's still like one of my go-to feel-good games, but there's so many different set pieces and emotions that I can't say it just gives me one feeling. Uh, are you the same? Different? Well, I'll, I'll um, do a little um, segue plug here while to answer that question because you recently had me as a guest for a jump cut play where we talked about like mental health awareness in terms of games and such like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I did say in that podcast when I was there was that one game, one type of game that can definitely make you feel happy is something that you've played enough. And so to answer your question in regards to that statement, you know, in this game, it can't get more comforting than this game to me because this is okay. I guess I'll go ahead and say it now. Paper Mario, the thousand year door is not only my favorite Paper Mario game. It is not only my favorite RPG game. It is not only my favorite Mario game. <laughs> it is my favorite video game of all time. Really? Dang. Yes. The Thousand Year Door is my number one. You definitely picked the right guest for this talk about this particular game because I am incredibly, incredibly passionate about this game. So, to have, so if you want, if you're asking me if <laughs> bringing me this game brings you any kind of comfort, it brings me like infinite comfort. It's like I just go into this game and I'm just happy. I don't care if I'm like in one of the sad parts of the game. I don't care if I'm one of the happy parts of this game. I play this game and I am in joy. Like I, I look for like I, I probably come back to this game maybe once every every other year. 
So, like, I played this game, like, last time. I think it was probably, like, early 2019. Hell, <laughs> if anything, I might be due for another playthrough later on this year. Who knows? <laughs> but, like, um, it's it's just, a, it's, it's just a game that brings absolute joy. Even though I, I know the twists and turns at this point, even though I know everything that's going on. There's still just... sections that, like, catch you off guard, at, like, at points. Like, for me... There's, hmm. there's certain plot points that I played this game like 10, 15 times and still like, uh, oh, I, I forgot about this little part or like, oh, this is still impactful. Like it, it, even though the story is just like reading walls and walls of text, like it's still something about how the scenes are crafted. Like it still hits you. I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll go more into this later, but yeah. like. It's um we'll go more into this specifically about like the the chapters itself later but yeah like the fact that each chapter is so different compared to like other RPGs it's alone you know you're not doing the same thing every single chapter I mean you are but you're not at the same time it's like yeah. every chapter has like a very different layout that kind of like uh for a new player your expectations are constantly being the checked like what yeah. you like like, chapter one of the game, and again, we'll go more to it later, but, like, chapter one is very typical RPG fare. Like, it's meant to, like, introduce you. But from there on, you're going to be hit with surprises in pretty much every single chapter you go to. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the joys of this game, that it doesn't become, like, a formulaic process. That's what stops me. Even if I love an RPG, that is what kind of what stops me from going back to other ones, because a lot of them, especially if you go to the older ones, are pretty formulaic. Like, if you go to, an, for example, an older Dragon Quest game, I wouldn't want to play... I love Dragon Quest, like some Dra- the Dragon Quest guys i played, but I wouldn't want to play them more than once because they are very, very formulaic with how they go. That's pretty much their charm, you know, the fact that they're very traditional JRPGs. Mm-hmm. But not so with Thousand Year Door. It's, it really does change every time you go into it. So, yeah, roundabout way. So, yeah, this game is definitely makes me feel very good when I play it. It's um that... That and another game, I know we're talking about this one, but Legends of the Majora's Match, which I would say is my second favorite game of all time, yeah. is is uh, are both very um, positive games for me. Mm-hmm. Which is weird to say about Majora's Mask, considering how dark that game is, but <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, it's... Um, I I think that old school JRPG formula... I actually wrote an article on this. I, I, I mm-hmm. used to call it like the old school Final Fantasy formula. Yeah. And it's like... Uh, you get to a town, you buy your new weapons and armor, you like go mm-hmm. to the main quest thing, like talk to the person you need to, do a dungeon, beat the beat the boss, come back, rinse and repeat. Right. And this game is a little bit like that because you know you got to do the main story and then get the crystal star at the end. But yes. the way you do that in each chapter is so so different. And oh yeah. We need to stop here because I'm just going to get into that because like, I just love no. talking about it so much. Um, but yeah, I'm, man, I'm just happy you're here. I'm so glad like you're it's like you said, when I grew up too, like I grew up in a very small town where the only games people played were like Call of Duty and Halo and stuff. Gotcha. So not many chances to talk about stuff like Paper Mario. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not and you know, and unfortunately it's because, you know, the GameCube also wasn't really Nintendo's best-selling console, which is something yeah. that I only came to learn many years later in my life. Like, you know, again, when you're a kid and you ain't worried about like stuff like get, like game sales or what's mm-hmm. the biggest thing or whatever, all you care about is what personally interests you. Sales or sales be damned, you just play what you like. 
And then it's only years later, like, you know, everyone I knew <laughs> had a GameCube and would yeah. enjoy playing the GameCube together. So when I grew up years later and found out that the GameCube was actually not one of the Nintendo's best-selling consoles and a lot of the games flopped their results, I was like, what?! But 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 everyone I knew had a GameCube. It's All my like, favorite games are on it. What do you mean nobody? Yeah, it's it? it's 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 like a it's like a small fish in the small pond going into the ocean for the first mm-hmm. time learning that. Now the Wii U by that point I was definitely high into the game, um, you know, into the into game stuff and social media and like following news stuff like that. So I knew even as I owned a Wii U that it wasn't doing well. But the yeah. GameCube, like I would say, it's the last console I owned that didn't do well and I was blissfully unawares. Yet, um, I think I was the, like, thinking back on it, I was the only person I knew that had one. Most, most of my friends had like PS2s and, and, uh, oh, uh, most of my friends also had PS2s. Like I was, I was, I was one of the few kids that only had the GameCube. All my other friends had GameCubes and PS2s. I would eventually get a PS2 myself later on, but it was definitely GameCube for several years before I eventually bit the bullet on getting a PS2 as well. Man, when I first, when I first bought my GameCube, I um I was with my uncle, mm-hmm. and when I bought it, I didn't buy a memory card with it. And <laughs> yeah. The fir- the very first game I got with it was uh Super Mario Sunshine, uh-huh. because kind of like you, I I first discovered the GameCube when I played it at a kiosk at Toys R Us, and it was like the first thing you saw when you walked in, and I was like, whoa, what's this cool console? And like, I really like the controller, and they it had like very uh uh colorful like display case mm-hmm. and it had mario sunshine um double dash and i think metroid prime i think oh, I sick. really, yeah I, I can't and i i really really played double dash and and sunshine anytime oh, i was there dude. i remember when i was younger i had one of those gamecube demo discs this was like made like back in like 2001 or two and it just had like for some of them they you got actual gamecube demos but like a few of them had like videos for upcoming games and that's how i saw metroid prime and stuff like that and f-zero gx it was it was great but yeah i I had the i had the console had the game no memory card so i'd play it uh sterling for shame (laughs) host of memory card memoirs didn't have a memory card i I, uh i knew coming up with with the podcast name that this would come to light one day (laughs) i'd have to (laughs) it's I so I'd play Sunshine and and you know I I'd try to save and it'd be like oh you don't have a memory card I'd be like what like I need this thing to save the game so what I'd do is I'd leave the console on and hope nobody noticed <laughs> or I just yeah. flat out restart so I think the farthest I ever got in Sunshine like before I got that memory card was to the Peanut Park stage where you fight right. Bowser like Jr. Bowser. on the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I'd leave it on and hope nobody noticed. But then in the morning I'd wake up and like my uncle or my dad would be like, you got to turn this off at night. It's wasting electricity. Or I'd like put something over my console so nobody sees the orange light on. (laughs) But eventually, you know, I got the I got a memory card. Sterling, I got to tell you two really quick stories about memory cards since we're talking about this. Yeah, yeah, Um, of course. First one is I can relate to the not having memory card thing because, um, when I got my GameCube back in uh, mid-2002 for the first time, mm-hmm. I also didn't have a memory card with it. <laughs> and uh, so I had Melee and Luigi's Mansion as my first games. Mm-hmm. And Melee, I remember a lot as a kid having to re-unlock the characters each time. So oh I finally got God, the memory yeah. card. 
And I think the most I had locked at one point was like I had gotten Young Link and Marf and like Jigglypuff and like Dr. Martin and a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I eventually got the memory card and like, you know, then that of course changed everything. But yeah, it was very much the same for me. But I definitely had one by, by the time I got Sunshine because that was a little bit later. Second real quick memory card story I want to share is that when I eventually did get my PS2, the main games I got was Kingdom Hearts because that was the main thing I wanted to play on the PS2. Mm-hmm. And there was a weird, weird issue with my PS2 and my memory card where for Kingdom Hearts 1, I could save the game, no problem. But then I would try to save Kingdom Hearts 2 and I said, there's no space in the memory card. You need this much of megabytes to lock. I was like, huh, okay. So I went to my memory card settings to see if I could fix that. And I was like, I had so much room. There's yeah. no reason that this game could not save. And I was like, I could not figure out what was going on. And you know what kind of, you know how I ended up fixing it? I put the memory card in another friend's PS2, saved the game, tra- copied the file, and then I was able to save just fine. I don't know why that happened with my... <laughs> it was weird. But then I had to, like... I was in torture because I finally had Kingdom Hearts 2 and I was having such a good time. But I couldn't <laughs> save the game. I yeah. was like, uh... Was it, was it like you beat Kingdom Hearts 1 and then could immediately go into the second, but that was stopping you? Or did you did you have to wait a couple of years to play? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't years before I was able to do it. Because for context, I didn't get my PS2 until like uh, 2006. It was oh, quite okay. late. It was quite late. So all those games were already out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't find out the 2 issue until a little later because after I finished 1, I also got myself Chain of Memories in the GBA. I did that first. And then I went to 2. Um, and then that's when I discovered this issue. Yeah, that was that was kind of like my experience with uh, actually Assassin's Creed. Like mm. I, I bought the first one and the second one. And if you played the first one, it has that kind of crazy twist at the end. And I whipped that disc out of my Xbox and shoved in the second one because I was so excited to play like right away. Oh, I just cool. I imagine you doing that with like Kingdom Hearts 2 and then running into that memory card issue and being like, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it wasn't pleasant. I I uh I, I try to find fixes as soon as I can, like because I really wanted to play. I had called my friend, who uh, my my good friend, uh, pretty much that same day. See if we get a fix. Next time I went to his house, we uh, fixed that. So I think all in all, this whole this whole ordeal is about two weeks. Mm. I don't know how much nostalgia you have for Smash Bros. Melee, but like I said, I was a GameCube kid, right? So I had mm-hmm. like I feel like massive nostalgia for Luigi's Mansion, Mario Sunshine, Thousand Year Door, like stuff like that, but not Melee. And I Melee was one of my first GameCube games, but I quite enjoy Melee, but I do understand what you mean. Like at the time it was my world basically, but yeah. you know, but I, like, but thinking yeah. about it like I just don't have that affiliation with it, which is super super weird. I don't understand why I played the shit out of that game. It is what it is. Like some people still adore Melee because of uh all those mechanics that, you know, the, the professional, the FGC players still mm-hmm. attach themselves to. And some people just still enjoy Melee for the memories. But for me, you know, I've just enjoyed every single Smash game more so than yeah, Melee yeah. personally. It's just I get so wound up in, like, the new game and playing that with friends and, like, the excitement of new characters releasing. I, I think that's probably what it is, honestly. You cracked the case. Maybe so. Maybe but so. going back to Thousand Year Door, we went off on a little <laughs> tangent, but that's what no the worries. show's all about. Right, right. Um, one of the things that makes Thousand Year Door so special when it comes to really just the whole game is the battle system. Oh, yeah. And to me, in most RPGs, the actual battling isn't what excites me the most. It's like outfitting my characters and like a job system and 
and um you know the story as a whole but this game like the battling is so so fun oh yeah how do you think it differs so like why do you think makes it so fun mechanically in your opinion Sure. So for me, when I think about the Thousand Year Doors battle system, I'll be honest, I had mentioned early, earlier on the podcast that originally I did like the original one more than the second one. Mm-hmm. And that was because my first impressions to, um, so for context for those who, who somehow stumble to this podcast and don't know the battle system of Paper Mario, you're, you're <laughs> it's, it's, it's turn-based, you got your Mario and you got your party member and then you fight against the enemies. But Thousand Year Door has you on a stage. And because you're on a stage... There are stage mechanics. So sometimes, um, for example, like for the main thing is you have an audience, an audience that cheers you on in every single battle. And that's how you restore your star power to do more different attacks. And you can even appeal to them. Use star power. I'm sorry. You can uh, uh, do stylish moves to get more star power from them. It's interesting. But I'll be honest. When I first played Thousand Year Door as as a wee lad, um, I would I had I initially was kind of mixed on the whole stage mechanic thing and how you know there's like an audience member because I know the original one was kind of like on a stage too but it didn't have like the mechanics like audience or like literal props falling on you or the enemy stuff like that <laughs> so that so the fact that it was literally like a stage performance down your door and when I was little it kind of took me out of it if I'm being perfectly honest mm-hmm. because I was like I saw this as like even though they're paper characters or whatever I still saw like the realist story and the fact that it was all just like a play being performed before these people I was like oh, I don't know about this this is kind of weird but over the years I really got to it really is what I think makes that game systems battle system unique the fact that you have this audience and that they're interacting and they're cheering you on every time and then sometimes for certain battles the audience will do more than their normal things. Like, for, like the first boss of the game will literally gobble up party members. I'm sorry, party members, <laughs> audience members to regain health, and that's terrifying. Like, oh, whoa, oh! And now you have to like fight him on the audience, uh, on like during on the sta- on the chairs himself. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And I remember that first boss fight when he's like, you know, he's trying to like trick you by getting you to smell his feet or like. Oh. You know, it's just weird to have, like, dialogue in a boss fight, and... Uh, I guess technically she. Oh, yeah, yeah, it. that's true, that's true, she. Mm. Um, but it it was just so strange, because uh, compared to you, I didn't play the first game. I just picked up Thousand Year Door. I had no previous experience with this franchise, so oh. I went in... Yeah, I went in completely a new player, and uh, of course I was like, yo, this battle system is nothing like I've ever played. Right. I didn't that must have... be more shocking then, yeah. Yeah, but I was still like, oh, I, I really like these mechanics. Uh, I remember really liking the idea of, like, the stylish moves. Like, mm-hmm. doing, like, tricks during the jumps and, like, all your all your hammer moves. I, I remember that really drew me in. And, and I was like, I got to learn every stylish move for all my abilities and stuff. But, uh, so, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, you're okay. I, actually, before I continue then, I have a quick question. When was it that you eventually did go back to the original then after playing the Thousand Year Door? Oh, probably. Ooh, so when I had my Wii. Okay, so you played the virtual console version of it. Yeah, yeah. So at least I'm trying to think. I, I would have been in like sixth or seventh grade. So at least five years, probably. Okay, okay, that's cool. That's cool. But yeah, yeah, to continue. Yeah, to continue what I was saying about um, the battle system. I do like that. It's unique. And there's no, if we're talking about specifically the first two Paper Mario games in this battle system, 
there's nothing quite like it. There's a lot of games, like you said earlier, that are now trying to be like spiritual successors to that battle system. But it's very unique because, you know, your party, the typical party in a JRPG is three to four party members, right? And then you have mm -hmm. them like fight against like a wave of monsters. But this one was specifically two. You had Mario and then one partner, and that partner can be changed to um, uh, account for who you're fighting against or what it is you need done in the fight. And that was pretty much it. You would go, then your partner, then all the enemies, and then back to Mario again, and the cycle would repeat in that sense. And then the fact that you have timing moves in addition to everything. And that's not necessarily new because Super Mario RPG also had a timing mechanic, and then Superstar Saga would also have a timing mechanic. Mm -hmm. But the fact that that even existed, like that's a unique little hallmark of the Mario RPG games, was something interesting because, you know, with JRPGs, typically you would press the button, choose your target, and then everything else would be taken care of for you. You don't have to worry about like timing your slashes to hit the uh to hit the choke not choke well, that's not that's not right <laughs> the slash to hit the hit the slimes or yeah. the tonberries in the final fantasy dragon quest games but this one if you want to do just that little extra damage to that goomba you're fighting you want it to make sure you press it right before you hit it so you can do two jumps instead of one and therefore do more damage also yeah, the fact that that um damage in paper mario game is very very precise you yeah, know. that's that's what drew me to initially was like, because in other RPGs I had experience with, it's like, oh, you started out doing 10 damage, mm -hmm. and then by the end of the game, you're doing 10 million. And this game was like, doing literally one more damage can like, make or break a fight. Like, exactly. I, I really liked it. It was so precise. Exactly. Like, you're, like, you're not just going for like this, <laughs> just like... You, you, you knew exactly how much, like, the, the like for context, the first Goomba you fought in, like, original Paper Mario was, like, had two HP. At the time, your your jump can only do one damage. So you needed at least two hits to take out the given Goomba. Then you learn action commands, which give you timing. And then now, you if you time it right, you can do two damage to take out the Goomba in one turn, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's where the strategy came in. Like, that's, like, the precision damage. For context, like, you just said 10. That is, like, what you do in, like, the beginning of a typical JRPG. 20 damage in Paper Mario is considered devastating. <laughs> it's like, if, if, if you're hitting for 20 damage or the enemy is hitting for 20 damage, that is devastating amounts of damage. Mm -hmm. Even 10 is devastating. So you yeah. imagine 20 and then it's like, oh. When you get hit for like 10 damage at the end of the game, you're like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to die. Yeah, it's it, it makes <laughs> you sweat if yeah. an enemy can do that much to you. <laughs> And, and even, like, the small factors of randomness, right? Like you mentioned earlier, like, the, the stage props falling on you and it does, like, one damage or it makes you dizzy and it's, like, that's so monumental. You're, like, no, like, I'm already low on health. Like, this is just making it worse. And, right. You know, sometimes you can do as, as much as you can to try and win a fight, but that small factor of randomness, it usually, like, it doesn't kill you, but it, like, adds that good amount of tension where you're, like, oh, damn, oh. I really got to buckle down. That just made me think of two things real quick. First off, when you're talking about like the, the random elements in the stage, it's funny to me that shy guys only appear at Thousand Year Door as causing stage shenanigans, either being in the audience <laughs> or just knocking things out. Where in the first Paper Mario game, there was an entire chapter dedicated to enemy shy guys, which yeah. I think is interesting. But the second thing I was going to say is, one thing we didn't talk about is, as you're doing moves, you have like this little slot machine in the, in the, like, the top left corner oh, as yeah. well. And if you manage to get at least two symbols, then you have to match the third one on your own. And it's very difficult to match the third, or at least I always found it to be, but depending on what you match, 
you could uh, make some good benefits. Like if you had three mushrooms, heals you completely. Three flowers, heals all your flower points so you could do more special attacks. Three stars, fills your star power. If you get three shine sprites, which is the golden goose, everything oh, is restored. <laughs> but, but, there's also poison mushrooms. And if you have the, 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 the misfortune to match up three poison mushrooms, you get reduced to one HP, all your flower power is gone, and you lose all your star points. And you want to talk about nonsense that can get you killed. It doesn't happen very often because you not only have to get those two matching and then get a three, but if it does happen to you, oh my god! Oh, There's it's, no it's way rough. to like juke the system, right? I've always wondered throughout the years, like you can't do... They don't... The slots don't line up by doing certain things, right? It's just completely random. The slots themselves, like getting the first two to appear i'm pretty sure that's random now the okay. third one i think is a timing thing but i've never been able to master that timing yeah yeah it, it again this the game just has that perfect element of randomness i love it it's kind of like old school mario party where it's like you can you know there's skill to do the mini games and and knocking the dice but it's like there's just those oh, few man. things on the board that if you hit it can completely change the outcome of the game it's like the uh, the perfect luck. <laughs> yeah, for sure. By the way, side note, if you ever do a memory cards memoirs in Mario Party, make sure to call me again because I love Mario Party as well. Oh, which one's your favorite? Three. Three? See, I don't have any experience with the with the N64 ones. I think yeah. I've, I've played two once. I was, again, because I was a GameCube kid, Yeah. I was introduced with Seven. Seven's actually really good. I actually do like Seven a lot. Yeah, I've... Uh, <clears throat> but since I had seven, I never thought like, oh, I'm going to get four, five, six. Because I'm like, I have seven. Seven's probably the superior yeah. version. And that, and, that, and that's what a lot of people the, the think going into like one of the later Mario Party games, that it's like a Madden or or or, or, or an NBA. It's not. It's like, like each Mario Party game is like unique in their own way and has something yeah. that's worth making them go back to. Well, and that's the thing, because my GameCube collection is like probably my most beloved part of my whole game collection and i would love to go and buy like mario party 4 5 and 6 but they're so expensive yeah they're prohibitively expensive especially the gamecube ones which is a shame it's my hope that at very least like switch eventually gets an online system that has like at least n64 games because i'd love to play uh two and three with a lot of people mm -hmm. one could be difficult because that one had like some control issues but that's another story yeah uh, can't you buy two on the Wii virtual console yeah. yeah, two is there, and two is actually a very, a very good. The two is actually the very first Mario Party game I ever played. I eventually bought one on eBay like years, years later after playing two on my N sixty four. But um, two is where I started from, and I still have a lot of fond memories of it. But three is definitely still my favorite. All I know about three is like it's the one that introduced um, Daisy and Waluigi, right? Into the series, yeah, and they yeah. had some crazy roles in three. By the way, <laughs> was what? There's like a story. Oh, there's yeah. Mario Party Three was the first one to introduce a story mode to the Mario Party series. That's awesome! Wow. And God, and like Daisy and Wa Daisy and Waluigi weren't even playable in the story mode because they played such a big role in the later part of the story That's that they awesome. couldn't let you play as them. Waluigi oh, was badass in Three, and so was Daisy. Man, had if you could switch it, would you put Waluigi and Smash besides like instead of Daisy, or would you no. just keep it as is? No. I think I think Waluigi being a trophy is a perfect for his character. It's, it fits him. It's not that it's not that I dislike Waluigi. Let me just make that clear. 
But I think him just being the assist trophy that people make fun of is part <laughs> of his charm. Nintendo knows what they're doing with that character. Like, with the recent renders that they released, <laughs> the render! they know yeah. what they're doing, man. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> they you, do. You can't say that they're ignoring that character. They know how to market no. him. They know they what know. The people want. They do. They do. But, that was, <laughs> but I'd still really like if Waluigi appeared in a WarioWare game. He deserves at least that. That's just all I'm saying. Yeah, it just seems weird. To me, I wish they would... I know this is like a complete pipe dream. Since the Mario and Luigi like games are kind of dead... As, as far as we know, mm. I wish they would do a Wario and Waluigi series like that. I think it'd be so fun and wacky. Yeah, and it would. It, you know, it's another chance to have a Mario RPG-like game. <laughs> I, th- I just think it'd be fun. And yeah, I just want yeah. more Waluigi. He's my favorite Mario character. He's pretty sneaky. Wah. <laughs> um, my favorite thing about the battle system is the leveling mechanic. Because, oh yeah, leveling. Yes. Uh, you can pretty much play the game any way you want. And as I've, like I've said, I've, I've beaten this game like 10, 15 times by now. And a way to just change up gameplay to make it a bit more interesting now for someone like me is my latest playthrough is like a no HP upgrade run. So like mm-hmm. I just stay at 10 HP the whole run. So it's like when you get to that boss that does 10 HP, I better like nail that super guard at the end. Right. But it's just a, a, a way to like impose a bit of uh, player induced uh, difficulty. Yeah. In the end. And that's a really good thing. That's a really good point, too. <laughs> I'm boring. I've never really put any of those like special no HP runs or no FP runs. I've always just kind of like kept them pretty balanced. But I do admire people who do that. Like, um,. People who do do the game and do stuff like that. I I, I recently heard of someone that did like uh, no HP, no FP increase, like only badge, only badge points, so mm-hmm. a badge point only run. And if they really needed it for a certain boss, they could always use the HP up or FP up um, badges to give you the in that way. Yeah. But like um, for the most part, you're just kind of going through it with just like your minimum. You got to nail those super guards. Got to make sure you um, economize your special attacks. Otherwise, you'll be out of FP before you know it. Uh, well, I remember when I first played the game. There's that badge called like Double Dip, and it does double oh. like it. Double Dip whole, is great. It just or wait no, maybe it's a different one. Double, double Dip, dip was, was the one that gets you lets you use two items in one turn. Yeah, Triple yeah, yeah. Dip, of course, was the same but three. It um no, it's the one that does double damage to you. And I know I which like, one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah, yeah. the name of it, but and I know I remember which one you're thinking, talking about. Like, what is the point of I don't get it. Why would I want double damage done to me? And again, it's just another way to make the game a bit more difficult. Yeah. And I don't know if like intelligence systems meant to put something like like if that was their intention or what. Like I, I think it what, was. It was it, I think it was just a little way to make the game a little harder. It'd be cool if fun. there was a different if if like um their quote hard mode. This game, of course, doesn't have difficulty modes. But if it had a hard mode, they would just give you that badge in your inventory right at the beginning, and you can just put it on just to make the game harder for yourself. Yeah, uh, I think that's a thing most JRPGs need to do is add some more difficulty modes, even if it's kind of a bit more artificial, like in Final Fantasy VII Remake, how they uh, made it so so you didn't regenerate MP, mm-hmm. and you really had to like. Uh, you know, go into battles like thinking it through. Like right. I, I just kind of wish 
we, there was more options. Like everyone yeah. always says when talking about difficulty options, like, oh, I don't want easy mode in Dark Souls. It's like, no, it's not that. It's There should be more options across the board. An easier mode, a harder mode, like an impossible mode, like accessibility options for anybody that needs that. There just needs to be more options. That's sure, it. I agree. Um, but yeah, the, the imposed like difficulty spikes are fun. If it, it's just for me, I do them because after so many years going back to these games, isn't as exciting, but adding a little bit of imposed, um, hardship just, it just adds a little bit of fun. Yeah, I agree. Um, be fun. Another thing, like there's, oh, there's so many things that make this this game so special. I keep saying it for like every point I want to bring up, <laughs> because like I love it this is game. though. Yeah, the it, the next thing is the partner system, because right. like you said, you can only have one partner out at a time, and each partner is incredibly incredibly different. And it's not like a JRPG that has a job system; it's they're stuck in their in their one role, and you can upgrade them a couple times, but uh you know your partner is your partner they do their thing mm-hmm. and their but their abilities can also be used outside of battle to help you solve solve puzzles find hidden items and i just i love it so much it's so good who's your favorite something... partner oh wow um phew. Uh, I go back and forth between two of them, actually. Either the Yoshi party member you get, who you can name, yeah. whatever, is definitely high up there. Second would be Vivian, because I actually really like her, her um, storyline during the game a lot. Yeah, Vivian's a big, big fan favorite. My favorite is probably the, the Yoshi character. Yeah. Uh, I also really like Bobbery. Like oh, Bobbery is wonderful. Always makes me like at least tear up a little when he starts like reading the note from his wife. Oh, That's... Mm, that's that's the highlight of the moment for a game game for sure yeah the music that plays is like so heartbreaking and that song is stuck in my head and even like you know you talk to the barkeep you mentioned before and he's like you know old bobbery like used to be a sailor and it's like mm-hmm. there's a little bit of backstory there which i i really like uh you know what are your thoughts on the on the partner system I like it a lot. I think it gives this game a unique flavor. And what I like about the partner system itself is like the party members you get. This was more so the case in the first one be uh, because the party members you got in like, well, I guess in both games, but Paper Mario and Paper Mario Thousand Year Door is that the party members you get are based on like, you know, Mario characters, uh, specifically enemy characters that are like good, good ones that like are on your team. Basically, you got a Goomba party member in both games. You got a Koopa Troopa in both games. You got a Bob-omb in both games. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how they use those abilities to kind of like, again, that does make it more unique than other RPGs because usually your party member is only good for the fight itself and not the overworld exploration. That's where this game defers because you have each party member that does a different thing. You are, your Goomba will tattle you so you can get hints on any area you're in or just get information about person you in. I use that a lot, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. Your Koopa Troopas will give you um, uh, the ability to hit distant targets so you can solve, hit faraway switches. Your bob will blow up walls that are weak so you can progress that way. And each party member just goes from there, just gives you a different way to uh, go through the environment and find cools and find cool things to progress one party member in thousand door is completely optional but if you have her it's easier to find like treasure chests and that stuff kind of stuff and it's very useful in that regard 
it was just so cool back in the day being like whoa there's like a town and and the koopas live in it and it's like they have their own little lives and then it's like oh they become like a party member like you know they're not just this throwaway baddie that you stomp on and, and you know they die it's like oh you know there's a society here that's a, that's a, that is something that i definitely enjoyed about it and um it, it is a shame that um later paper mario games kind of like to get did away with the concept of having these unique um characters to like be party members though i will i will give some credit to origami king this like the babam character that you get which they nicknamed bobby despite the fact that he looks literally like regular babam had one of the best arcs in that whole game so, you know, in exchange for character designs, they did kind of like double down on the writing in those games, which kind of uh, make them a little better in that regard. Mm -hmm. But I just like that Thousand Year Door was able to do both. They have unique character designs and the nice backstories of the characters. Now that you bring it up, because we haven't really mentioned it, like, w what is your opinion on future Paper Mario titles, like on, on the series as a whole going forward? Sure. So I played Super Paper Mario and... At the time, I wasn't too keen on it, but I've I've definitely warmed up to it over the years. Like I, it's it has the same kind of writing quality that the first two had for sure. It's the world just is super unique in that game. Like as, it's as much... so it's it's so unique, but but I also think that's both a good thing and a bad thing in my opinion for Super Paper Mario. Yeah, it's so unique because at that point it felt like Mario didn't even have to be in there for a lot of the parts. Especially when you get to later parts of the game, you don't see there. There comes a point in that game where you don't, you start not seeing any kind of like uh, established Mario enemies or Mario characters at all. It just becomes completely unique, weird characters. And if yeah. this was like a standalone game, that'd be totally fine. But the fact that it's a Mario game kind of takes me out of it in, in, in some regards. I do like how the gameplay blends the traditional 2D with the RPG elements of the first two. But on, ultimately, unfortunately. Um, someone like Shigeru Miyamoto saw something like that and thought that maybe that was too much. And now, of course, we're in the Arrow Paper Mario games are now just only the, the strict Mario characters and they can't really venture out anymore. So I unfortunately think they went a little too far with Super Paper Mario, but I still like that game for what it is. Um, and then to the nice transition there, I do not like Sticker Star. That is definitely the one Paper no. Mario game that I absolutely despise. Its battle system <laughs> is very, very flawed. The game itself is very boring. Um, it has uh, the world map system, which kind of removes the fun of like exploring all these different areas. And some bosses are just built for you to die once so you can like learn their patterns, unless you look up a guide to see how to beat them, because you need a very specific badge or sticker to beat them, and it sucks. It sucks. Color Splash on the Wii U. I actually played it for the very first time only a few months before Origami King came out, because I was curious to see what it was all about. People said it was good. It's a lot better. It's a lot better. The uh, card system is a little improvement over the uh, badges that were in Sticker Star. Um, the writing is definitely significantly better. You still got a world map, which is unfortunate, but at least they're a little better about giving you more variety. I would say Color Splash was very good about giving you the kind of like different chapters that Thousand Year Door did. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we were talking about the Koopalings earlier, and they are the boss of every single chapter in Color Splash. They, to their <laughs> credit, to their credit, they managed to make them unique enough. But it's still, when you think about the unique bosses that Thousand Year Door and the original had over the years. Just fighting the Koopalings each as each boss was like, meh. And Origami yeah. King, I quite liked. Origami King is finally feels like they're kind of like finding their own direction. It's not what the old Paper Mario games was, which, you know, for me that loves the original, of course, I, I, I um, lament that. But I like that Origami King seems to find its own path apart from what the other ones were. Um, I actually, yeah, I enjoyed Origami King a lot. I did a full stream playthrough of it on our uh, Twitch, our Twitch channel. 
uh, myself and Chrissy, my normal Friday co-host, and we had quite a lot of fun with that game. It had highs, it had it had like very sad, sad moments. Like the story of, of Origami King was was good. Let me just make that perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. It never quite hit the same way as some of the moments of Thousand Your Door, but when it got sad, it got really sad in Origami King. Like there's a moment mm-hmm. that I still think about. I almost cried on stream at one point in Origami King for one Dang. moment. Like it got really, really sad. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe they did this. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it it's such a weird fr- like it's gone through so many metamorphoses. Metamorphoses, yeah, yeah. It it's because we pretty much have the same experience. Like I went into Super Paper Mario and I was like. Yo, another Paper Mario game. This is gonna be sick. And then when I first played it, I was like, "What the hell is this?" Like, mm-hmm. but I was young at the time, so I was like, oh, "I'll just play through the game." And I liked it. I remember, I remember enjoying it. I haven't gone back to it since. But the only thing I really remember is the mechanics and and how different the world is and how, like you said, it, it does kind of uh, go away from the Paper Mario path quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to go back and revisit it one day. But then I moved on to years later when I was in college, I bought Sticker Star. <laughs> Again, I was optimistic. I thought, I thought, oh boy, Paper Mario again. Like, hopefully it goes back to what it is. And then I played like maybe a couple hours of it. And I was like, this is bad. Like, full on just terrible. You know, what's the, you know what's the worst part about Sticker Star for me personally is that I wanted so bad to like it that I definitely gave it more than that couple hours because I was oh. like, no, it's Paper Mario. It has to be. It's yeah. I've never I've never disliked the Paper Mario game. This can't be happening. So I yeah. kept playing, and then it was, when I got to that second boss, I was, it's what finally hit me. Was like, no, this it really isn't good. And, uh, and then I put it down and I never picked it back. Yeah, after that, Paper Mario just kind of it was a sour flavor in my mouth, and I never picked up. Color Splash, but then when Origami King King came out, I I was very much like I like Paper Mario just isn't for me anymore. It's just not my thing anymore. But the hype got to me, and I wanted to just give it a chance because I feel like you know when you're in our sphere and you you do what we do, like you should be more optimistic and, and really just play something before you write it off as sure as bad or something you don't like so i did give it a chance and the game does have a lot of great features and saving graces but i just did not enjoy the battle system and the story just wasn't hitting for me and that's just a personal thing the puzzle the puzzle elements of the gameplay is definitely not for everyone because again it is more puzzle like than the first few paper mario games yeah. In my opinion, the boss fights are what make the Origami King more than the regular fights because you really have to think about those fights. Like mm-hmm. you have to actually take your time and think. Like if you're not if you're not really put, it's it's definitely become more of a puzzle game with Origami King than like I guess strategy with the first two. And if puzzles are not really your thing, then it's not going to do anything for you. And the story does take a bit to warm up with Origami King as well. It's not like Thousand Year Door where it kind of hits more or less right away. Mm-hmm. It's again those though when it gets to those moments, they hit hard. But you do got to get there. And sometimes you may not be like what, what you're doing all the time. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things where I'm glad other people like it. And, I'm you know, it's been the best-selling Paper Mario game. But it's just like, okay, this 
this just isn't for me specifically so i'll pass on it i still mm. got the old things i can go back to and and they're still fun so for i didn't sure, mean to, sure. to put the negative spin on this episode but <laughs> now nah, you're good now nah, you're good i mean look when you're talking about the paper mario series it's inevitable that you're going to get into some negative because you know the series of unfortunately you know thousand year door remains a high spot in the series but it that's just the nature of the series it's had it's had some very lows very bad lows and you know you have to acknowledge those lows to acknowledge what made this game in particular really good mm -hmm. i think another thing with origami king is the there's no real incentive to fighting like you get all the coins and stuff but then i just keep avoiding fights because i didn't like the the battle system and because i avoided those fights there was no repercussion like if you avoid fights in in thousand year door and like let's say in the first chapter and you try to get to hooktail like you're gonna get wrecked right if you right, still have exactly. 10 health and and you can't equip any badges but in this one it's just it felt like there's nothing there yeah i see, uh, I see what you're saying for sure yeah i feel bad for talking negative about it so let's just move on but those <laughs> are just you know my thoughts on on the series going forward yeah uh, the last thing with gameplay and probably oh, literally I was just about to say it again that it's my favorite thing <laughs> the badge system I love the badge system so much uh, it's where you know probably the most uh, creativity and and um, the difference in playthrough can be right yes exactly and like you said you could just put all your level ups into badge points and just have a heyday and try to play like that because you can still upgrade uh, your health and, and FP through that way. Or you can just have more special moves. Um, and I don't really think there's any other RPG that has a system like this. Well, I can, the closest, and at least that comes to my mind, is like Kingdom Hearts has kind of like the ability system, which also uses like points. But while that... Here's the difference between that, because, of course, with the abilities, those are just, like, abilities that you have and you can put on and off. But, like, in general, Kingdom Hearts will, like, reward you for having as many abilities as possible, unless uh, certain ones will, like, conflict your abilities. But, like, you know, you only get so much ability points, you have to kind of pick and choose what's your gameplay or style, but it won't change that much. You're still basically playing Kingdom Hearts. With Paper Mario, though, there's two main differences with his badge points. How, what bad points you put on will greatly change how you approach these battles. Like, mm -hmm. um, you can either go for max HP and just kind of go in guns a-blazing, so to speak, and just destroy, demolish the enemies. Or you can go for style and try to, like, play more defensively. Or you can try to do an item focus run and stuff like that. The badges you equip and don't equip will have a major impact on what kind of moves you're using against the enemies going forward. And not to mention, you get to collect these cool badges with all these little cool pictures on them. And that's mm -hmm. fun in and of itself. Even <laughs> if you don't even use the badges, there's a lot of fun. If you're, if you're a completionist, there's a lot of fun in just finding those badges and having them to your um, journal. Oh, we got to talk about the journal in a second, but finish your thoughts on badges first. No, that was honestly pretty much what I was going to say. I'm, I'm interested in what you're going to say about the journal. Yeah, the journal is great because... Um, it lets, especially if you're into the game to like, like uh, complete it or just get as much as you can. The journal is really cool because, you know, you got your map. That'll, of course, tell you where you need to go next. And that's all well and good. But then you also have the tarot log. So every enemy in uh, Paper Mario Thousand Door can be scanned by your Goomba party member, Goombella. And every time you tattle on an enemy, they get added to the log for like a total of like, I think, 154 enemies or so. Uh, that's the regular enemies and bosses. 
And there's even a cool mechanic where if you forgot to scan an enemy during a boss fight, <laughs> you can go to Professor Frankly's house and he has that enemy log in his trash <laughs> so you can just get it that way. So you don't miss any entries because you can't refight bosses in this game, but you can still get that entry if you really want. I've never personally done that because having that information about the enemy has always been helpful because once you scan them, their HP remains on the screen at all times so you can know how much they have left. So I've always, I've never skipped a boss. But that's an option. So you have the title log, the badge log, which will keep track of, um, you know, the badges you've been collecting up to that point. And my personal favorite, which we haven't even talked about yet, is the cooking log. Man, I, I, I never use the cooking system, and I always feel super guilty about oh, it. Oh, dude, but the, cooking, on, on. the cooking system, I love. I love the cooking system so much. Like, so, for anyone watching, the cooking system in Paint Bar is, is, is rather basic. Like... There's a chef in the game, and if you bring them an ingredient, they will make a dish out of it. Now, that's pretty simple, but later on in the game, that said chef will, you'll be able to give them an item of some sort, and once you give them that item, which is usually a cookbook, if I'm not mistaken, they can now use two items to make cooking, and that's where the real game begins, if you like the cooking mechanic, because depending on what two items you'll bring that person, you'll be able to make all kinds of like uh, crazy items. And NPCs will give you hints on some of them, but a lot of them is also just trial and error. And then if it's a unique recipe that only that chef can make, it'll get added to the cooking log. And some of them can like do give you like really good um, healing items or FP healing items. And some of them are just like super gimmicky. I want to tell you that my my favorite gimmick item of all time, the mm -hmm. trial stew. It is so difficult to make the trial stew what in Thousand Year Door. So. To make the trial stew, first you have to get a poison mushroom, which is not an item you can ordinarily attain in a game. You have to make a poison mushroom, which I think is used by taking a slow shroom and like maybe like some kind of inky sauce to make the poison mushroom. And then you have to make another item called the couple's cake, which um, you need cake mix and then like some other item to make the couple's cake. It's been a while. But then, yeah, if you combine the couple's cake and the poison mushroom, you'll get an item called the trial stew. And what that will do, it will either do one or two things. Eating the trial stew will either fill up mm -hmm. your um, star gauge completely, or it'll reduce you to one HP and zero FP. <laughs> or no, actually, you know what? I, I'm wrong. I think it does both. It fills your star power, but reduces you to one HP and zero FP. So okay. you're literally in a trial. It's the most gimmicky item, and it's one of the most hardest items to a game. Like I don't think anyone in the game tells you how to get that. That's like a that's I found that out from a guy. But um, yeah, it's. It's just, I just love the experimentation you can do with the different um, uh, things you can mix up. And then it's fun having it uh, stored in the guide there. It's, I like it. Man, yeah, maybe next time I play it, I'll get into that. I've honestly, like, never even bothered with it. It's um, just, it's just like, I, like, some of the more obscure ones I've used guides helps. But a lot of them I just found by experimentation. Like, if I have, like, a lot of coins and I have uh, surplus of items, like, hey, I wonder what happens if I mix these two together. We'll turn out into something good. Um, you know what's funny? In the original Paper Mario game, as Mario is heading over to the final battle against Bowser, to Bowser's Castle, you know, the final dungeon of the game, mm -hmm. there's a toad that, like, all the toads are, like, making wish, and one toad says, I want shroom cake, I want shroom cake. And I was just thinking <laughs> to myself, like, is that, a, is that an item in this game? And then, sure enough, and I, I didn't do it now, because when you go to Bowser's Castle, like, you can go back, but I didn't want to, because I was so close to the end. But on a second playthrough of Paper Mario, I was like, okay, that kid said I want shroom cake. Is that an item in this game? So sure enough, I gave the Toad Taste Tea a mushroom and cake mix, and she made me a damn shroom cake. I was like, yo, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a cool little, like, hidden thing. Yeah. 
yeah the like literally every time i play I completely forget about it but then um i watched the completionist video on paper mario mm-hmm. and he does like a big thing about the cooking system in the game and i was like man i didn't even think of this like there's a whole other aspect of this game that i don't even touch <laughs> right it's intense um yeah i i think that's mostly it for the kind of gameplay section of this but now we go into the bread and butter and jam baby the story the story and i'm oh, assuming it's man. like gonna be explicit spoilers from this point forward right yeah without a doubt i mean this game came out in like 20 years ago now i guess for sure but yeah for everyone listening now we're gonna get into the real meat and potatoes so if you're listening you had a curiosity about the thousand year door and you actually want to go play it at some point just just a caution for going forward now yes thank you i always forget to to do the spoiler warning i just like you know any episode going forward for anyone listening like any episode is gonna have spoilers you can't at some point yeah deep dive into every game so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um the way i describe paper mario as i kind of said earlier is that like every chapter of this game has a different atmosphere and like you said the way you play it is kind of different the way you uh get to the goal is different and uh it, you know it's due to the layout of how the chapter unfolds but you know it's it's the story it's the music the settings yeah and they all blend together so well to make each chapter so incredibly memorable and just beautiful and oh i love it so much i love this game with like every part of my body every chapter in this game i can honestly say we're gonna go into our favorites and least favorites in a second but even concerning my least favorite ones are still special in some way like i look forward to at least one or two things every time i go into a new chapter in thousand year door because of just what cool things it does it's just so unique there's just something special about each and every chapter that sticks with me Mm -hmm. it's well, because you you get there, right? You you land in in the main hub of Rogueport. Rogueport. And, we haven't and, talked a little bit about Rogueport yet, but let's. Why don't we talk about that just a second? Yeah. Well, you you land there, right? And you're like, whoa, this is not like a Mario game. And this is this, not like Toe Town if you had played the first one beforehand. Yeah. Where Toe Town was just so clean and peaceful. With Rogueport, you feel like someone is going to shank Mario, and it's like. It's weird that you would even think that in a Mario game, but the environment makes you feel like that could be a possibility now. Well, it's because like there's no there's no grassy area, there's no peaceful like music playing. It's it's you get there and you immediately get mugged. Like somebody yes. literally just steals all your coins, and you're like, what? And you don't even have to, like do you? I can't remember. You have to go find them, right? Or do you, you don't know? have to. You could just yeah. eat. You could just. You can just eat that loss, but no, you can't absolutely go after them and get your money back. Yeah. It's and and you know, you get to the opening of town and there's just like a noose hanging. Like it makes a no noose. sense. It's like this is a Mario game, but they kill people, they hang them. Oh, and that house where you find the person that stole your loot, um, it's I'm sure many people have touched on this before, but you go in that house, it's filthy dirty. There's like flies and roaches all over, it's like a complete mess. But in the Japanese version of Thousand Year Door, if you go in there, there's a chalk line in that room of like a, it's a toad. And there's like even like red stuff in the floor and flying blood. So a toad was freaking murdered in that house. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it felt 
especially you know when you're younger you get there and you're just like whoa and there's like back alleyways and shady characters and and uh i think it's it's in that first area you start talking to toadsworth and somebody's like getting shaken down in the background by like oh. pianta mob bosses and yeah like, how'd that floor taste bud yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was i don't know it, it's to me it's it's the most unique mario game in terms of setting and story there's there's really no competition to it because yeah. as as much as i love mario everything is incredibly formulaic you know right. grass world desert world water world <laughs> it's 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 all the same mm -hmm. and then paper mario just hits you with a noose with <laughs> and a noose. characters getting bugged and, and shaken down and it's so different it's great and and you know rogue port isn't just this one-off area that you visit it's your hub world yeah it's you come back to it uh between every chapter and new areas opened up or you've gotten a new partner where you can explore more or get through a puzzle that you couldn't before and i love it because it's it's that i don't know it's it's kind of like something more recent is like it's kind of like resident evil village <laughs> completely different games but like right. every time you beat a section in resident evil village you get to come back to town and it's like oh i found that key to open up that house to get a new weapon or or a really good item i need or or a shortcut or something like that like it it's that constant feeling of progression and, and unlocking more things and um i don't know do you have any more thoughts on rogueport uh, yeah, I do. Well, just not not too much more, but yeah, you we pretty much hit the nail on the head with most of it. Like you get to new, explore new areas, and um, there's definitely a more cleaner part of yeah. town, but that's in its way even more shadier than the first part. But you know that's another story. I just do like that you do get to explore more of it, and that you see more and more of the town. So even when you go back, it doesn't feel like um, you're just. It, it feels new each time, and that implies to the NPCs as well. If you talk to them every chapter, they'll say something different. So you can get more dialogue that way and see what's going on in town. And that's pretty cool in and of itself. And one of my favorite parts of the town, too, is that at some point, once you yeah. get far enough in the game, you can explore the rooftops of one of the areas. And there's this just, there's this guy there that's just kind of like uh, he has his own little like uh, umbrella there. He's just hanging out on the roof. You talk to him and he just straight up tells you lore about the game. Now, you have to pay him for that. Like it's five coins a piece. But if you were willing to pay that, you can find out the deep deep lore of the thousand year door and it's interesting like you find out stuff from that guy that you don't find out anywhere else in the game like the nature of those four um curse boxes why they curse you what's their deal you find out the nature of the three-tailed dragons um where did the final boss come from that kind of stuff it's awesome to read to hear man one of my favorite things is the sewers of rogueport because that too is kind of like it's an entire world down there like a city yeah and it you know at first you go down there and it's just like oh there's even like more shadier people down there who kind of try to shake you down again and mm -hmm. you get to fight them but it's like it's like an even bigger hub world that you can explore and then eventually yeah you find like another city down there filled with like delinquents and and people who have needed to like hide from society and yeah it's a lot it's a lot like um the abyss in three houses huh yeah 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 i didn't even think of that 
That's exactly what it's like. That's. I awesome. wonder if Intelligent Systems even thought about this when making Abyss because it's so similar now that it came, now that the words came out of my mouth. Man, I'm literally going to write this down to see if I can write an article about that. That is so interesting. I never thought of that. Another thing regarding to it, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you too. Um, until you got to that underground city in Rogueport, um, I wasn't that keen on the Rogueport underground. Like, because mm. like, here's my thing. I was, the, of course, the direct comparison you make is Toad Town Tunnels from the first Paper Mario game, which I like the music of Toad Town Tunnels a lot better than the Rogueport underground area. Really? I love the Rogueport underground music so much. It's it's fine, but I but I like the, the, the remix of the underground theme that they incorporated with the tunnels, mm -hmm. and I just like enjoying the... Those tunnels felt more dungeon-like, which is an aspect I liked of it a lot. But Rogueport Sewers eventually won out Toad Town Tunnels by a milestone because there's just so much more going on. There's, like, secret shops down there. There's, of course, the Underground City, which we already touched on. The Thousand-Year Door is down there, of course. You have to uh, constantly go there anyway. And, of course, the Pit of 100 Trials, which we'll talk more about later. There's just so much more there than Toad Town Tunnels ever had, which is why I like it more now. Mm -hmm. But that was just my initial impression because, like, oh, this is just uh, another Underground Tunnels area. I, I like the other one better. And then, of course further you go you more realize there's more involved with it well there's even stuff like those uh shops you, you know paper mario does that thing where there's stuff in the background like, yeah you, know, you, you go in the tunnel and there's like the weird fortune tellers and stuff in the background I don't <laughs> yeah know, the that was always the aspect that i like it always felt um kind of fantasy like magical it's like man what else is like under under the city like what other secrets are, are hidden away that I can uncover? And, and I still get just a little whiff of that every time I play. And it, it's, you know, the inner kid in me kind of bubbles up and, and um, comes out a little bit. You have that air of mystery for sure, which is really cool. Yeah. Ha, um, do you ever, have you ever watched Arlo, the YouTuber? He's like the blue puppet guy. Yeah, I've seen a few of his videos. I always like how he incorporates like Paper Mario music into like his his videos. Oh, I've noticed that. I've yeah. noticed that big time. Uh, I don't know. The music just kind of hits differently, but we'll we'll get into that later too. Mm -hmm. Um, but a, a big thing that this game hits you with, especially right off the bat, like as soon as you get into Rogueport, is that there's a central mystery to the game. Like where is princess peach and what is behind this thousand year door? Like what is really going on at the, at the center of this plot. And then pretty much every chapter that you go into in every new area also has its own mystery and, um, having a mystery and using that to move the plot forward has always been my favorite method of storytelling in games, yes. TV movies. Like if you have a central mystery, at the, the the thickness of the plot like i'm in baby i'm totally in um i agree i agree it it's and thousand year door just does it so well like you said there's a lot of layers to this game and you can even talk to that guy that gives you even more info about certain plot or or exposition to certain things it's, oh yeah 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 there's another guy underground as well <laughs> that he also requires payment but he'll tell you like some of the secrets of the game yeah yeah it's there's there's just so much like the, the story and everything in this game meshes together so well, has so much going for it. Um, let's get right into like, what is your favorite chapter? Easily chapter six. Um, the three days of excess when you're on the train. 
I am a sucker for train levels in video games, especially when they're done well, or just media in general, honestly. And this one does it so, so well. We're talking about, you know, chapters that uh, subvert expectations. How much more subverted can you get than an entire chapter that goes onto a train? And let me tell you why that's such a subversion of expectations. Because, you know, we just talked about JRPGs. The formula is you go on to this uh, wilderness area or whatever. You find a town. You get information from said town. Uh, townspeople tell you where you need to go. More wilderness, dungeon, boss, done. So what does this chapter do? Well, you spend the whole thing on a train for almost the whole thing on a train for three days, right? Getting to that town, right? Like your objective. Getting is to, get... to the town. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll get more on that in a second. But yeah, you're on the train. The first thing you have to do is solve a mystery. So you have to like solve a mystery right there, which they did a mystery segment in pay, the original Paper Mario, which, by the way, chapter seven of the original one is my favorite because of that mystery aspect of well. Mm -hmm. So I enjoy the fact that you had that mystery to solve in the first day of your travels. So that's all you're doing. And the shop is on the train if you ever need to buy anything, by the way. So then you get to day two of your train travel. More cutscenes happen. And then you have to hit a stop there. And you don't realize it until you've gotten to that stop. But that's your dungeon. So on the second there, you've, you've, you haven't even got to a town yet, but now you're at a dungeon basically with mm -hmm. some very wonderful atmosphere of music and beautiful sunsets that yeah. always sticks with me. And as you're going through it, it's just like, you know, you, and then you have a very creepy enemy at me at the end, but the enemy kind of gets away and you're like, oh, well, that was weird. So then you're on the third day of the train and there it is, the enemy that got away is now the boss that you have to fight. Again, you have still not reached the town yet. You are still on this train. But day three, the boss is on, on top of the train, has captured all the passengers, and you have to fight this boss to save the passengers. And the music of that fight is one of the most creepiest songs I have ever heard in a Mario game. And yet I sometimes listen to it sometimes just to remember that feeling. <laughs> Mm -hmm. it is, yeah, so you have to fight this boss, which is not an easy boss, by the way. I remember when I was a kid fighting, I lost the first two times. It's, 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 it's tough the first times. So then you finally fight the boss. And after defeating the boss, the train ends. You finally get to the town. <laughs> and the town is full of a bunch of rich douches, honestly. <laughs> so you don't even want to talk to them. But you're happy that you're there anyway. Yeah. And then you get to the place where... You, and you're assuming there's another dungeon, but then you realize... The dungeon was the journey all along. <laughs> Especially that first stop, which was explicitly a dungeon, basically. Mm -hmm. And all you had to do was solve a puzzle to finally get your goal. Because you you didn't realize it, but up to this point, all the requirements, like... Because the game, up to that point, had, like, you know, drilled into you that you have to follow that procedure. Mm -hmm. This, the town, dungeon, boss. And then you're there getting the crystal star, and you're like, wait a minute, there's no dungeon, no boss? And then you realize, wait a minute, I've I did the dungeon... <laughs> I did the boss. They just did everything in reverse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, when I got to that realization as a kid, I was like, oh my God, this chapter was great. <laughs> this was a great chapter. I love it so much. Oh man. You're, oh, I want to, like, I seriously think I might just replay this game tonight. You really, <laughs> like, even though I've played it so many times, like, you're selling me on it even. Like, if I was watching, I'd be like, damn, this game sounds dope. Oh, I freaking love that chapter so much. Like, I, like I'm always like over the moon when it's time to get back to chapter six of the, my Thousand Year Door played through, and I always feel I always feel like a just a tinge of melancholy when I finally get the Crystal Star at the end. It's like, oh, it's over now. Yeah. But I, but at least chapter seven and eight are pretty good too. They're not nearly as good as six, but I enjoy them. Uh, well, I, like I had the same thing. It's like when I got to the end, 
and you just get the crystal star and it's like chapter done and you're like wait what and you're like thinking about it and you're like i guess i did do the stuff at riverside station and i yeah guess i did beat a butt it's like damn this chapter bamboozled me <laughs> yeah it, it, it completely plays to your expectations mm-hmm. because it's just it's it's like all the chat we talked about before all the chapters in this game have their own level of uniqueness chapter four is pretty damn unique that's mm-hmm. the one that's in twilight town and then like stuff like it's pretty unique in what it does with that one but yeah. like this one i would even argue is even more so yeah well the thing is is that uh it this game is kind of a lot like the first Paper Mario, right? You get the Goomba partner and then the the Koopa Troopa partner. And and the first chapters is kind of similar, right? You go in the castle yep. and you defeat the big boss. And then it kind of just goes right off the rails. Uh, uh, honestly, my... I think if, if I was to talk about the first Paper Mario, I think... That, that game definitely had some unique chapters as well. I wouldn't say every chapter is unique the same way it is a thousand year door. But if mm-hmm. I were to think about the first one, I would say the probably the most unique ones would probably be three, four, and seven for that game. Yeah. It um my favorite chapter in this game, and I know it's it's a big fan favorite, is chapter three. The Oh yeah. Glitzville? Glitzville? Hell yeah. That's a that's a that's a big one. Because at first you're just like, damn, this is cool. It's like it's like a tournament arc in an anime. You're just right. like fighting your way up the ranks and and it's really cool. But then, you know, the game hits you again with that kind of central mystery mm-hmm. of I love what is mystery. going on here. And man, it's when you get the email and you flip it open and it's playing like It's the Super Mario Bros. 3. It's like the, the ice, ice world theme. World. Yeah, I love it. It's so like, I don't know, thinking about it, it is kind of mysterious and cool. And you kind of get this tale where a bunch of characters are wrapped up in this conspiracy and it's, I don't know, it's just fun and kind of wacky and, and, and wrestlers uh, start disappearing. Yeah. And I, I think it utilizes the, uh, battle system well and kind of the emphasis on partners. Cause that's where you get the baby Yoshi. Right. And it's like, you yep. can't continue in the tournament until you get that baby Yoshi and use his like certain ability. To win against the Iron Cliffs. Oh my god. Dude, I was stuck for a while because I never thought the game would actually just want me to run. Mm-hmm. Straight up. I thought there must be a strategy I'm just not thinking of. I mean, Goombella straight up tells you that running away may not be a bad idea at this point. But I'm like, but is that really the solution to run mm-hmm. from this fight that they just built up this much? Yeah. It's and then cool. it was. And then Bowser like shows up and you fight him. Right. And... <laughs> of all things, Bowser. And you, you kind of have like a, a small uh, kind of sub boss with, with Rock Hawk because he's kind of a dink and he yeah. like is constantly talking shit and you're just like, man, I hate this guy. And oh, then, dude, let's talk about subverting expectations. You're um you're making you're assuming that entire chapter that Rock Hawk is going to be the boss you need to uh, th- throw down with to get the crystal star. Yeah, and then he, he has it right and he yeah. wears it and right away you're like, oh, there it is. He even has his own unique theme, which, as we've seen up to this point, a unique theme is the hallmark of a unique boss in the Paper Mario series. By the way, we haven't talked about that. I'm, let, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but let's talk about that real quick. Uh, JRPGs, you know, has a boss theme or maybe a mini boss theme that plays for the entire game. Paper Mario, from both the first two games, every boss has a unique theme. 
Mm-hmm. And that goes a long, long way to make you remember them more than you would have otherwise. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, subverted expectations because you get there and then you fight him and you get the belt and the crystal star just falls off and shatters. And you're like, uh, what? Like, what just happened? And it's like, oh, it's a fake. And you're like, well, where's the real one? Like, what is going on here? And then the email comes again right as you're, where's the real one? Yeah, and it's it, it just it really at first because you know like you said it does subvert at first you're like oh this is just a I'm just making my way up and I'll get to the top and I'll beat Rock Hawk and I'll you know I'll get the the Crystal Star and it just the mystery just hits you and you're like where are these wrestlers going and and what is going on with the management behind closed doors and and like you know you get the that one email where it's like don't go to the ring at night and you're like well why like what is gonna happen if i do like this is kind of creepy yeah um and that is my favorite chapter but man oh man do i love the story and setting of chapter four i love twilight town four is so good it's to be fair and i know a lot of people say this and it's true the pacing of that chapter is very iffy like it is a sure. lot of going back and forth. Yeah, and, that's that's true. That is very true. And it does get a little stale, but the setting is so freaking cool and I love the music. And I'll let you in on a little hint that I haven't I don't think I've really ever told anyone. Hmm. Uh I loved the setting and, and story of that game so much that when I was younger, I wanted to write my own book and I didn't and uh, I based my book off Twilight Town. Really? And at first, I wanted it to be like just like the story of townspeople who are like cursed to turn into pigs and they have no idea. I wasn't going to copy it. I just wanted to use that plot point and kind of craft a story from there because I thought it was so, so cool. And then it turned into uh, I want a, a different plot and a different story, but I want it to be the same feel and, and atmosphere of Twilight Town. So I had it where in the world, it was always like, it was always twilight. Like the sun was always going down and, and the time of day never changed from there. Like it was either twilight or nighttime and and it didn't go in between. And the way the world worked was nobody had any emotions. Like everyone was very bland and boring, but then I was going to make my character go through like, kind of like emotional puberty. And he experiences real emotions for the first time. And uh you have that pathetic fallacy of the world change like you know in movies when oh the main character's sad so it starts raining mm-hmm. like i was gonna kind of have that be a plot point but in the world it's never rained before because everything is so kind of stagnant and stale so the main character gets sad and then it starts raining and everyone's like what the hell is going on why is there water <laughs> fa- falling from the sky yeah. it sounds kind of boring when i explain it but i had like this whole big big thing planned out and I just never wrote it, but Twilight Town and Paper Mario was like the basis for that story. I mean, that says a lot that it meant that much to you that you would consider writing like an entire novel centered around that, you know? Yeah, it was. It, it's kind of like a book version of a spiritual successor in a sense. Yeah. Um, I got to be just, honest, like my favorite part of the Twilight Town chapter is like the twist at the supposed end. Yeah. Because... Yeah, you fight the, you get, you do everything. You're at the town, you get to the dungeon, you complete the dungeon, you defeat the boss, 
end of chapter, you think to yourself, this is a pretty short chapter. Why is this chapter well, so short? Yeah, because it literally does the end of chapter thing. Right! Like the little sequence that plays every time you read a chapter. And then it and then it stays on your character and you're like, what? Why, wait, why go, is it staying there? And then I decided to press A and I'm jumping. like, wait a minute. Am I playing as Dupless? What? <laughs> what? What? What is going on? And the game doesn't explain anything for a good minute. Like you're just going back through the dungeon that you just finished as a shadowy version, and you have no idea what's going on. And it's like, am I playing as the villain? Why am I playing as the villain? Am I going after Mario to kill him? Why yeah. am I doing this? And you have to go through all of it by yourself, no party members, which is really hard actually, especially <laughs> going to the crazy daisies and everything. And then you find what you thought was Mario, and then you find out your bodies were switched. I'm like, oh, what, this was happening. And, and all your party members are just gone, and you have to team up with Vivian because she's in a similar situation. It's like, oh my god. Well, like we said, again, you're hit with that central mystery of the chapter of like, what is the enemy? Like, you know, the thing is that you get your body back once you speak the boss's name. You don't know what his name is, and once you do. You like literally the because you have to type it out, right? Exactly. But then the letter you need to complete his name isn't there for some reason. And I remember being a kid and being like, what? What is going on? Why is this missing a letter? Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense. And then the game hits you with Vivian, and Vivian has like this sad story that you can get attached to, and she joins you, right? And it's like, oh, yeah. this is a villain character, but. She's going to help me. Like, it's it's kind of weird. So yeah, Vivian, like, she can be, like, she's abused by her sister. And that story just kind of resonates because, you know, she's had enough and she just wants to join Mario at that point. Well, she doesn't even realize it's Mario when she first meets him because he's in yeah. the shadowy form. Yeah. And then, you know, when, she, when you know, Mario goes to fight the boss and try to get his body back, Vivian realizes that it's been Mario she's been helping this whole time. And she abandons you for the first two turns of the battle and you're left to fight um, your bo original body and your party members by mm -hmm. yourself. And then two turns later, she realizes that, like, you know, that, that, that how much Mario matters to her now and that she, her mind's made up and she's going to help you anyway. And that's such that moment really resonated with me a lot that she, despite the fact that you're Mario, still wants to fight with you. Yeah. it. The whole chapter is just, you know, it's got that emotion. It's got the mystery. It's got... That atmosphere, that music, man. Every Halloween, I play like some of the Twilight Town music just to yeah. get me in the spooky mood because it's so cool. It's, it's a, you know, even the, um, I remember in the hub world in Rogueport when you find the one Twilight Town citizen because he's like hidden mm -hmm. in the alley, and I was like, yo, what is this dude? He is cool looking. Yeah. And then you get to go to his town. And it's like, man, this is dope. They're 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 all like him basically. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, the creepy steeple music is definitely something I put a lot of in the, during Halloween moments. It's mm -hmm. great that moment. Just everything about that chapter is is, is so perfect. Again, uh, the pacing is is a bit of an issue, but everything else is so cool. I I kind of let it slide. There's a th we haven't talked about this yet, but did you do a lot of the um, what was it? The requests that was in Rogueport. What were they called? Yeah, I, I think they were just called. Requester. I never really did any of them, no. Did you? Oh, I did them all. And the reason why I bring them up is because there's a request that requires you to return to Creepy Steeple 
to find um, a cookbook for ta- for Zesty so that she can make the double recipes, basically. Mm-hmm. And if you there's a hidden area, there's a very secret area in the Creepy Steeple where you can find an item called the Golden Leaf, which cannot yeah, be found yeah, yeah, anywhere yeah. else in the game, and yeah. it's used for like specific recipes. Yeah, I remember that, the Golden Leaf. Yeah, very Did dope you... item. I had to f- I, I farmed a few, so I didn't have to keep coming back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it's like, it is a very... You'd really, really have to pay attention to what's going on to find it, right? It's a, it's yeah. In a little one-off hidden area. It's a, it's a, it's a background thing that if you don't notice it, you just won't notice it. Yeah. There, there's so many things like that in this game where, even like today when I do a new playthrough, it's like I might find one more new hidden thing, like a hidden star piece or a badge I've never found or, or an item like that, and it's just so cool. Yeah. Oh, Trouble Center, that's what it was called. I, I couldn't remember the name, so I just remembered it now. Yes. Yeah, the yeah. Trouble Center was great. There's even a few of them that can only be done in the post-game, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big thing, too, with these chapters is that in between each chapter, right, you do mm. that switch of character and perspective of, okay, you played as Mario, now you do this like little sequence as Bowser, and then you go play as Peach and try to send like emails tomorrow yeah know what's going on how do you feel about those i love those sections um with concerning peach specifically i will say that overall i like the peach segments in paper mario one a little better because those gave peach like a little more agency in my opinion like i like sneaking through the koopa trolls that patrol the castle and just doing the different attacks that way the ones in um thousand doors for peach are not as interesting because the hallways are a little more linear in that regard and the requests that you have to do are not quite as fun. The X Fortress as a for as a as a as a base, it's just not as interesting to me as Peach's Castle, if I'm being perfectly honest. But I did like the relationship she built with um, the tech tech computer. That was meaningful to me, and wh- and how that yeah. kind of like developed more so than what happened to Peach's Castle. So I guess there's a little give and take there, I suppose. But the Bowser sections were freaking amazing because <laughs> they were always hilarious. Like. I can't believe they took this established Mario villain and just made him a sense of the comic relief of the game where he's always two steps behind what's going on in the story. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you finished uh, chapter two in this, in this, um, this, you finished chapter two this time. Bowser's literally hanging around the area from chapter one. So I guess maybe one step behind, but there you go. But yeah, and then he's like, where's the crystal star? Oh, you mean Mario got it like hours ago? Grr! Now you're in chapter four. You finished chapter four. Bowser's now hanging around the chapter three area. It's like, wait, there's nothing here either. Ah! It's just like, <laughs> he's always divine. It's just hilarious. There's and one then, part, like, even later on where you're pretty far into the game, and then he goes back to Glitzville, and it's like, man, I'm so far gone from that place. Like, how yeah, it's are you like, so far behind? Like, he's just always so far behind. It's just hilarious. And then the sections where you actually play as Bowser will range from just like simple exploration things where you can talk to NPCs for funny dialogue because he's Bowser or just straight up Super Mario Brothers segments where you're playing as Bowser. I wish there was more of them because yeah, those sections like are so fun. Little platformer c- kind of deal, right? It's Yeah. Well, I think there's actually three of them now that I think about it. There's a standard land one, then there's a water one, and then there's one that looks like it's Bowser's castle, but it's actually Rockhawk's secret underground gym, which is really weird. <laughs> By the way, I hear those sections were the inspiration by why, by why they made Super Paper Mario the way it was. That's odd, man. It's it, They're like little 10-minute sections. They made a whole game out of it. Which chapter is your least favorite? 
So, again, I do like all the chapters in this game, but if I had to choose my least favorite, I would have to say Chapter 2, The Bogley Woods. Now, yeah. I want to say what's positive about that one before I say why it's not my favorite, my least favorite, rather. Um, the positive is the music of that chapter. I freaking, yeah. like, the minute you go into Bogley Woods and you hear that music, it's one of my go-to songs when I need to do, like, um, work because it's um, so calming. It's, like, one of the most peaceful songs you could ever listen to in your entire life. It's just, it's like... It's, like, serene. Like, it's, like, if it sounds beautiful in a sense. It's, it is, like you said, very, very calming music. But go yes, ahead. Yes, it's, it's wonderful. And there's also a little... Color, color, oh, wow. Let me try that sentence again. There's also a lot of other cool things that happen in that chapter. Like, it's your first real encounter with the main enemies of the game, that being the Exnox. You encounter them at the dungeon, the Great Tree. You fight several of their members. You even fight the Shadow Sirens there for the first time. And I love the Shadow Sirens boss theme, by the way. It's really cool. It's a, it's a yeah. bop. It's a really cool bop. Um, so there's all that. And then you have your boss against Crump, who's like in a little mech, which is pretty cool, actually. Mm -hmm. Um... Flurry's uh, section, Flurry's introduction is kind of hilarious, honestly. So I like that aspect of it too. And the punies, the punies. Um, I like it when they do the fights against the Jabby tribe because it's like Pikmin. Yeah. Like it was very, very much obviously inspired by Pikmin, which is what I like about it. Now to get the negatives of it, as striking as the um, backgrounds is, the black and white backgrounds of it, like uh, the environment does get a little boring to look at over time, if I'm being perfectly honest. Like, it's striking the first time, but on repeat playthroughs, as much as I'm enjoying the music and everything, I'm just like, I don't really like this background. There's so many more striking backgrounds everywhere else in the game. Mm -hmm. Backtracking is a little not as fun as I would like. Great Tree is just not as my, my favorite dungeon because, I don't know, it's just not that interesting a dungeon to cross around. And as much as I like those puny sections for when you're having them fight the jabbies and stuff like that, it's less fun when you're trying to get them around the dungeon, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah. Because they can fall easily in certain parts, and then you have to figure out how to get them back. And it's just like, eh. So it's for those reasons that it's my least favorite chapter, but I still like it for those positive reasons I stated earlier. Yeah, even like the chapters I don't like, I still enjoy playing, you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. even the lows are still really high. Uh, mine's probably the same, to be honest. Chapter 2... Just because of of the puny stuff, it can be kind of frustrating. Uh, the great tree is cool, but like you said, it does get a little little sore on the eyes. Mm. Uh, Flurry is probably my least favorite party member, so I don't really care for her. <laughs> yeah, I can <laughs> see that. I don't find her that useful, and, and she's my um, least favorite as well. By the way, like I enjoy her introduction, but I I didn't use her that much. Yeah, uh, I also. I'm not a big fan of the the like shipwrecked island. I can't remember which. I think. Oh, it's you didn't chapter... like that chapter? That was chapter five. The yeah, Keyhole Key. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't find the story that compelling in it. Um. It's... So with that chapter for me, um, I like. I go back and forth because you know there's a very similar chapter in the first paper right where you go onto Yoshi's Island. Yeah. And uh. And what I like about that chapter is the fact that, you know, the Yoshis are there. It's nice. You even hear the music from Yoshi's Island there, which is mm -hmm. super catchy and nice to listen to. And I like the Mount Lava Lava dungeon in that area. Mm -hmm. But what I don't like about that chapter is the finding the Yoshis in the jungle. That that section, that I hate that section, honestly. Because mm -hmm. I don't like exploring that dungeon, that dungeon, uh, the jungle and finding the Yoshis. So with this one, doesn't really have that. You get more Bobbery moments, I believe, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, but I also like the aspect of it that they're on a journey. So there's like a diary that's being held at the beginning, 
And then they get shipwrecked, which is like, whoa, how do we get out of there? And there's like arguments on how they're going to survive. And I actually really like the Pirate's Cove. That's a, that's one of my favorite dungeons. Yeah, I I think it's things like it, it feels a bit more cliche. Like, I'm not a big fan of Flavio as a character. <laughs> oh, um, you don't like Flavio and his, uh, his epic song? And the whole, like, Lord Crump, and he's there with you. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. He, like, speaks to you as the player. He's like, hey, don't let them know. Like, it felt very, like, Saturday morning, like, bad cartoon villain, mm-hmm. which I've never really been a fan of. But the dungeon is kind of fun. And, uh, like you said, the journals are, are kind of cool. Again, uh, I, I think chapter two is the weaker chapter, but this one is a, a little bit of a sour note for me. Again, I don't hate it. And just because I think it it's, it's my least favorite. It's still very, very good. Like, yeah. it's still extraordinary. Um, but like, like we mentioned earlier, we both, we both don't like flurry. But then there's characters like Bobby who just get like these emotional highs. Do you yeah. think the characters should have been fleshed out more, or do you think it's okay? Like, do you think there would have been too much story if mm. they had tried to do that? That's a very good question, honestly, because uh, I think about the party members from both games, honestly, and the first ones in the first the first game is party members. They got fleshed out okay. Like, you got a lot more of them when they first joined. And then if you got, like, letters throughout the game, you got a little more with them. But it wasn't really much. But with Thousand Year Door, I definitely thought they got a little better treatment, honestly. Because, well, they did and they didn't. How much you get with these characters will kind of depend on how much you use them. Goombella gets a lot because she's your first party member. And uh, you'll probably have a lot for the tattling aspects of it. Um, Aubrey gets a lot. I think that's the I think that's the core of it. They get a lot in their respective chapters, yeah. and and then past that, it just really depends. Some side quests will give them a little more time, and some of them won't. Vivian, I think, gets the biggest arc of all the game characters because yeah. you meet her before as she's a villain, and then later on when she joins your party party, um, of course her sisters are still villains, so you got to deal with that and the fact that she's now a traitor to them. So I think she gets the most over in the entire game just because of that little the relationship she has. With the villains, which you can really play on even more if you have her as a party member during those moments. So yeah, I guess they could have gotten a little more, but uh, and they probably could have done it. Like all those trouble requests, if there were some certain trouble quests that like gave the characters a little more, I think yeah. that would have been good. Like yeah, I'm, 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 I'm thinking paralogs of Fire Emblem Three Houses, where every every playable character in Three Houses got at least one paralog to themselves that was all about them, all about their character. And that's apart from the support conversation you get in that game, which, you know, fleshed them out even more. But yeah, I think Thousand Year Door probably could have benefited from troubles that could have, like, um, specifically focused on that given character. I think that would have been neat. But I'm also not upset with what we got. Like, the characters don't really change that much. They are kind of static. But excluding Flurry, I'm okay with who they are in the beginning that I don't really even need to see them change that much. I mean, again, they get their dynamic change during that chapter, and they kind of stay the same for the rest of the game. And again, I'm more or less fine with that. Yeah, I think it's just the inconsistency for me, where it's like Goombella, Bobbery, and Vivian have good character arcs, but then like Coops, Flurry, and the Yoshi kind of don't in a sense. Like they don't have a lot of character development in any sense, even in their respective chapters. Like even the baby Yoshi is just kind of boring and he's hot headed and yeah, he doesn't really change for that much. He's like, let's go Gonzalez. Let's do this. 
And same with Koops. It's like, oh, uh, I want to be a brave warrior or something like that. I kind of view him as like the Usopp of Paper Mario. Oh, my God. I was about to say Usopp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like he, he, you know, he just kind of defeats Hooktail and that's it. It's, it's kind of there. Nothing else really happens with him, unfortunately. Yeah. I do like how the Yoshi for the entirety of the game calls you Gonzalez because that's how he, he's a baby and that's how you're, he was introduced. So he knows he was Gonzalez and he calls you that for the entire game. And that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's good. I always, I always, always forget that Paper Mario is made by like the same developers as Fire Emblem because it's two, they share certain similar qualities, but it's two very different games. Oh my God. Sterling, do you remember? Did you talk to that Toad NPC in uh, yeah. Pedalberg that like <laughs> yeah. literally shells, uh, shells fire? <laughs> <laughs> I, that, even as a kid, I was like, wait, what? This this Toad knows what Fire Emblem is? Because, you know, like I said, I grew up in a very small town. I was the only person who knew what Fire Emblem was. And it was like, whoa this game references one of my favorite games that's amazing i had no idea that that like at the time that until this has made both games was like why is this kid talking about fire emblem and then as a kid I, later I was, I was like whoa that's why by the way have you did you talk to that kid more than once like because his dialogue changes depending on when you talk yeah. to him yeah what other games does he say he, he plays i kind of forget yeah so the first time of course he talked about fire emblem once you've gotten about halfway into chapter one he mentions that he played um the original Paper Mario on the N64, and he mentions mm. how, how cute Bo is, like the Boo partner yeah. from that game. Um, if you talk to him after you finish Chapter 1, he'll mention that he's now playing Paper Mario Thousand Door, which is incredibly meta because you're also playing the game now. And then when you come back on Chapter 2 or later, he'll say that he finished Paper Mario Thousand Door. He said, so worth the money, I wonder if there'll be a sequel. And then he has one more dialogue, if you talk to him specifically in the post-game. And that's, he says, hey, so I've been playing the sequel to Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. You know, I don't want to spoil it, but if you love Luigi, get stay tuned for this one. And Dang. sure enough, Super Paper Mario did have Luigi with a really big role. So I'm like, wow. So they've been thinking about this for a while because that was in the Thousand Year Door dialogue. Like, what? Well, because Super Paper Mario was ori originally supposed to be on GameCube, eh? Right. Yeah. And then and then they switched development to the Wii. Mm-hmm. Um. A lot of people, I remember, I mean, for the few forums that were back in that day, a lot of people thought that because that Toad said, if you like Luigi, stay tuned for the next one or something like that, that they were going to make a Paper Luigi game because of his interactions in that game. Yeah. Man, man, people still talk about that, how his story sounds like super cool and, and like it could be his own game. People are like, man, we still deserve Paper Luigi one day with that awesome with that awesome plot line that he describes. But then you talk to his partners and they're like, nah, he's full of shit. <laughs> yeah, like like his his blooper partner, Bluey, is supposed to be the white torpedo, but he's like clearly brown and talks to him. He's like, he dropped me the volcano. My, my skin got dropped. I'm only troubling him so I can get my revenge one day. Like, <laughs> like when you talk to all the party members that he has, first of all, they're, I can't believe that for this gag, that this running gag that had in the game, they made unique character designs for each of these party members. There's a babam yeah. cherry. That's literally a cherry babam. Mm -hmm. And he's literally only traveling with Luigi because he saw Luigi in a dress and he's traveling with him to make sure no one witnesses that horror ever again. <laughs> it's great. I remember being jealous because I was like, man, I wish we could have like a blooper party member. That'd be sweet. Right. I know. Some of those party members were really cool looking. And some of them, he had a, he had a spike top that had a wrench for a spike. I'm like, that's yeah. sick. Yeah. His name yeah, was yeah. Torque, which is also a really good name. How do you remember these things? I couldn't remember the names. Dude, his party all. members are amazing. I, I remember all except one of them. The one that was like the really creepy looking one. Mm -hmm. And like, it was like, 
Apparently, it's supposed to be based on an enemy that didn't make it into the final game, so it's just kind of like a unique model that's only for Luigi's party member. I think it was spooky or something like that. I don't remember. I remember Jerry the Cherry Bomb because that's just, that was just like such a perfect <laughs> name. Louis, uh, what else did he have? Well, he had a few regardless. Oh, he had a Crazy Daisy as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was like a blue Crazy Daisy. I forgot the name of that one, so I guess I don't remember all of them. But I loved Luigi's party members. They were so hilarious. And the reason why he st why um, they stuck with him were always, always hilarious reasons. Yeah, man. Next time, I, I feel like there's so many aspects I'm missing out on. I never really talked to them before because I just, like, I did it the first ever time I played. And I was like, well, I got that story. But I completely forget it now, so I got to go And then to there's them. even, like, books that were sold in the store at some point where you can collect Luigi's adventures yourself. And the <laughs> books make his story sounds so much more grandiose like he's like this legendary hero mm -hmm. and all of his party members are there because they admire him and whatnot and then you just hear the story member the story from the party members themselves and they're like mm, like the la noir doubt <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh have you ever beat beaten the pit of 100 trials i most certainly have but yeah. it's um it did i will say that when i was young i finished i got all the way to floor 100 fought the super boss bone tail and lost and was furious because i spent three and a half hours on that run I, I so i forget can you save while you're doing it absolutely this? not yeah there is no saving the pin hunt trials you do it all in one try or you're done and that's mm, yeah it's and if you leave you can leave at any well not at any time you can leave at every 10 floors but if you do you have to start from the beginning, so it's really not worth it if you're really trying to do it. It's a good place to get experience with some rare items. Like, for anyone that's listening, if you have never done the Pit of 100 Trials and you did the Thousand Year Door, I definitely recommend at least getting to 50 because you get an item called the Strange Sack, which lets you carry up to 20 items as opposed to your normal 10. That is 100% worth it. Um, and of course, if you go any further than that, it's like... What's interesting is that the Pit of 100 Trials has a few enemies from floor 50 onwards. You don't fight anywhere else in the game. Nowhere. Yeah. They're like literally like some of the enemies have like 12 HP a piece and there's like four of them on you and they can do like up to eight. And it's like, <coughs> it's like, it's a, it's a, it, it gets like a hellish gauntlet the further in you go. You know, what's funny about the piranha plant enemies too, is like you fight the pale piranha at the, um, uh, Bogley woods, right? Mm -hmm. Then you fight like the poison one at the jungle. You fight the ice one at the, but you never fight a regular piranha plant until you get to the pit of 100 trials and the regular piranha plant is the strongest version in that game like what <laughs> i remember you fight uh isn't there a fire piranha plant or am i uh crazy? not in that game i don't think i think it's just uh poison ice and regular right right and the pain of course because I remember they added the fire piranha plant into Mario Tennis Aces, and I was like, what the? Oh, yeah. I, I still haven't used that one yet. I've used most of the DLC characters that have come out, but I haven't tried fire piranha plant. I need to do that at some point. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, that game has such interesting characters. But, um, yeah, oh. I did eventually get to Bone Tail. Um, I didn't do it that one, obviously, because once I lost that three-hour run, I didn't touch that game for a long time. But eventually, mm -hmm. I did go back to it years later, attempted it with a little better setup. And I was able to beat Bone Tail after a very difficult battle. And it's very satisfying to beat that thing. You know what's funny? If you have Goombella Tattle on Bone Tail, she'll literally say, as her last line before she finished the title, is like, this guy might even be stronger than the final boss. Let's give it everything we got. <laughs> <laughs> I love the little, little middle humor they threw in there. 
I remember a couple months ago, I watched a speed run of this game, and it wasn't like beat the game. It was uh, complete the Pit of 100 Trials before beating Hooktail. So before beating the what? first chapter, you have to go and beat the Pit of 100 Trials. It is crazy. It is so cool how well they optimized this game. And You gotta like, link how, me this. How much this dude had to prepare. It is so fun to watch and you learn so much about this game and its mechanics and some of its hidden mechanics. It's fun. I, I will definitely link it to you and I'll put it in the description of this episode because it's so much fun Thank to you. Watch. I gotta see this. Yes. Yeah. It's it's like a ton of and you know you start the the trial at like I think he was like level two or three and you end it at like level thirty because you beat like <laughs> you do one battle and you already go up like one level at the start right because you're yes. so because you're supposed to do this game like kind of near the end or even or post game yeah post game so I always you, do it post game personally. I always do it before the final chapter just so I can go in like super prepared. Right. But man, is it it's such a cool little area and thing they did. And they brought it back for um Super Paper Mario and they have two different Pit of 100 trials if I remember correctly. Right? Oh yeah, flip side Pit of 100 trials and flop side Pit of 100 trials. Which I, I hear never... neither the <clears throat> I've done the flip side 100 trials. I've never done the flop side one. Yeah, I don't think I ever beat either to be honest. They were always really difficult at least for me. They're, they're okay. They're, um, like, the first one, the flip side Pit of Hunt Trials was kind of cake, if I'm being perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Flop side one, I tried that one, I was having difficulty, so I didn't really go back to it. I think that's that's really it for um, the story section. Let's get into our closing remarks. Um, one of the big things I wanted to talk about in this game is the music. Yeah. And we've touched on it before already. Because the music is godly. It is so... Like, I'm, I'm terrible at describing uh, anything. Like, music theory, how it works, how it really makes me feel. It's just so good. Every track is so fine-tuned. And for every area, for every boss you face, there's something completely unique. And... I could literally like I and I do I just put the entire soundtrack on YouTube and just listen to it yes yeah, throughout the day while I like write or something like every bop it's like oh man I love this I get super into it or you know I, I need to relax and, and kind of feel a bit serene so I put on Boggly Woods or uh, I'm in the mood to be spooky or it's Halloween so I, I put on the Twilight Town themes and stuff like that it's oof. So there's a good. there's a there's a song for every mood in that game honestly and that's what kind of makes it a lot very special because you know there are there is such a nice variety of tunes that you can hear mm -hmm. um i can tell you right now because of how much this game means to me i can hear the rogue port theme anytime and just be immediately elated because of just yeah, you know yeah. the fact that you hear it so many times is what kind of makes it stick with you and makes it more personalized uh more so than any other song that i've i've really heard and that's just and it's important for your hub town to have a good song that you want to listen to because you do come back there a lot. I also really like the hub music in uh, Origami King, which I'm very happy that that's the case because, you know, you go to Toad Town in Origami King a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, if I could have added one thing to the Roadport song, 
I wish it did what Origami King does is where the song will actually ramp up a little bit every time you complete a chapter. In Origami King, it starts off very simple, like da, 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 da. and then by the time you're like chapter five, it's like da, 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 and it's like doing all this stuff like whoa this song is like a symphony now and i just love how it like ramps up but Rogueport, i on its own I, I think it says a lot about how good that song is that it starts off the way it is and you can still listen to it at any point and still enjoy it that's that's to be commended yeah um is there any like well since you brought it up is there a particular song that you like really stands out to you like some like you you mentioned a few examples but like what would you say is like one of your favorite songs of the game ah dang i know it kind of puts you on the spot there it's it's gotta be either the twilight trail theme mm -hmm. or just the the boggly woods those uh, are definitely good choices I, I, oh, also, a lot of, of the train themes are really, really, I don't know, I'll, relaxing. I was going to say, like, the train like the train theme, specifically the one that plays at night, is yes. amazing. Yeah. The, the night train theme, oh, I love that one so much. Man, I could do a whole podcast episode on just the music of this game, because it's it's so perfect. If, if anyone is listening, and, uh, you know, you do what Brandon and I do, and you're a writer... Man, the soundtrack for this game is so good to just put on the background while you're writing and kind of have that background noise or or relax you. Like it, it's so so good. This is this is easily like the my most popular game soundtrack that I put on while I'm working. Ugh, love yeah, it. it's 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 up there for sure. Like it's it. Whenever I need to listen to music in the background, it's like this or maybe some George Mass music. I also throw on some Persona Five music because that's also really good. Like I have, I have a little, certain rotation of certain games that I put music mm -hmm. to, and this is definitely one of the ones that comes up here often. This is the first Paper Mario game; they both have really good soundtracks, but this one is like stupendous. Mm -hmm. I was you... just thinking, I was just thinking about the uh, music from the Xenot Fortresses now, because the Xenot Fortress is not one of my favorite dungeons, but that music is super cool. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the techno music that goes through that, really good. Man, a reason I'm so excited to do this episode and even edit it is to literally add the music in in the background because you know that's what Ooh. I do for like every episode is oh, I'll yeah. add the, the game soundtracks just as, as some background noise and to kind of set the set the mood so I can seduce you Brandon but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's I can't wait to add this music here. God I love it so much we gotta we gotta keep going or else I'm just gonna keep talking about this one thing <laughs> um if they were to like remake or remaster this game, what would you kind of want them to do? Even like it can be anything from like a graphical standpoint or or maybe adding or taking away certain things. Well, if I'm being perfectly honest, I just really want this game to be available on, you know, more modern systems than yeah. first and foremost because this game is still very much stuck on the GameCube and it doesn't deserve to be stuck on the GameCube. There it deserves to be Played by more people. I say this about a lot of games, especially ones that are stuck on systems that people don't own, like the GameCube slash Wii U. Mm -hmm. Which is why I'm like, I know this is an aside, but like that's why I'm so happy personally when they port these Wii U games because it just means they can reach a bigger audience, the audience that they I feel they deserve. But mm -hmm. yeah, going to Thousand Year Door, it really does deserve to be on more. Um, if it was remaster, honestly, would be how I would prefer it to do be because it wouldn't. If it's a remaster, it wouldn't change the core game. It would just like you know, you know, map the buttons for modern controllers, of course. Uh, maybe touch up the graphics a little. Not that it really needs it, because this the good thing about the Paper Mario games—they look timeless. 
even the first one, as dated as it is, it still looks fine. It's this game that I think looks like, like definitely will stand the test of time. Um, if it was to like apply like what they're doing with the with the shading and whatever, it's like Origami King to this game, and just doesn't change anything else, I think that'd be incredible. Because I love the style of the later Paper Mario games. I just you know prefer the gameplay of this. So if it was like a little bit of both of that, like the core game is intact, but it has the style of the later games, that would be like for me the like really good. I would really really appreciate that. In fact, I'd I'd much rather have a remastered game than a remake. If I'm being perfectly honest, because I don't know if I would trust a remake of this game. Like, if I'm being perfect, especially if they change the core gameplay. Like, I don't think they'll go that far for a remake. But um, I don't know. I don't know if they, like if if Nintendo. If it depends on how much Nintendo does. Nintendo understand why people like the Thousand Year Door, or do they just know that people like it? If they know why they like it, then I would think a remaster would be the best way to go about it. If they don't understand. Then they'll just bring back the core story and change whatever else, and then people will end up not liking it as much, and that's the worst case scenario, in my opinion. I think I could still enjoy it, honestly, if it was just a retelling of that story. But I'd much prefer if the, the core game itself would just remain mostly intact, that more uh, modern people could play. That and the first one. I think the first two Paper Mario games should be more readily available. Yeah, there's sort of like this bitterness fans have towards Nintendo. Like I remember when. The first Paper Mario, the anniversary was a couple months ago for like, yeah. uh, uh, and Nintendo tweeted about it. And I remember even I, I like quote tweeted it and I was like, holy shit, I can't believe Nintendo's even acknowledging I these did games. as well. <laughs> <laughs> because like, you know, it seems like they kind of want people to forget about them that there used to be these deep RPG mechanics and these kinds of stories and it seems like they just kind of want to focus on the new I had a very shallow hope that if they were acknowledging it, that they had at least had like some plans to like put them together mm-hmm. in like a re-release. I don't think you know Nintendo doesn't really do collections that much, so I'll never hold my breath for them doing this. But it'd be nice if just the first two games got collected and put on Switch or something. It just seems like with you know when we got the 3D like Mario All Stars, that was like a huge deal, right? They don't. Yeah. They don't really do re-releases of Mario games all that often, unless it's like, you know, putting the Super Mario Bros. 1, 2, and 3 on Virtual Console for the 10th time. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I really don't hold much hope on seeing the first two games ever again. Unless, for some reason, they did N64 and GameCube Virtual Console, which, as well, the years go on, feel like it's becoming not... I haven't fun. completely given up hope on N64 games coming on Switch and like uh like a Switch online service. Mm-hmm. So if that was the case, I I I I could definitely see Paper Mario getting thrown on there because let's be real. If N64 games got thrown on Switch, the, the library on N64 is just not as vast as like other Nintendo systems. Mm-hmm. So there's only certain if there's only certain games they could pull from, you would figure that Paper Mario had to get thrown on there eventually. And that'd be something. It's not thousand year door. I'd want I still want that. But at least the first one to be made readily available, and that's a start at least. Until and then people can start hoping. Uh, it's like, wow, this game is great. When are they putting Thousand Year Door? And then maybe that movement will get them doing something. You know, it's a shallow hope, but it's one I still have. Again, it's only beneficial to to have. You know, I I think all game companies should be bringing their past libraries to future consoles because, you know, let's say, uh, you know. Origami King sold over 3 million copies. Let's say even 10% of people 
absolutely fall in love with it and they say i want to go back and play every paper mario game well they, yeah there's the, the only ways they can is is buying a secondhand copy which nintendo doesn't benefit from all, at all mm-hmm. or they pirate they pirate it and emulate it like nintendo they don't get anything from that and you know 10 percent like that could be like three hundred thousand copies of a game that's that's a lot that's a that's some a good amount of pocket change, you know. It's, you know it's now, not... that, now that I think about it, it's not necessarily impossible that they could do like a remake of it because they did so with the uh, Mario and Luigi games, the first and third ones, um, before Alpha Dream went under, unfortunately. But um, that's entirely possible. And you know, for those remakes, they uh, they didn't really mess with the game core game too much. They just mm-hmm. left it mostly alone. They added in those extra Bowser modes, which are were got mixed re- uh, reception from people. But even if you know, even if they were released like a Paper Mario HD on Switch and added in some mode no one cared about, at least you still have the core game there, you know? Intelligence system is... They're in a very... Like, they're in the best spot they've ever been in, right? Fire Emblem and Paper Mario have never sold so More well. than, than what they have now, yeah. And, but the thing is weird is that they do remakes in the Fire Emblem series quite often, but nothing so far with this. And I mm-hmm. got to think that it's just a licensing issue with Nintendo. It must. Well, maybe. It must be. Like, Fire Emblem is completely their brainchild, but, you know, they yeah. don't own the, the rights to... They can't just make a Paper Mario game willy-nilly if they wanted to, per se. Yeah, and it does seem like this more become more of a generation thing to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, if there was to be another Paper Mario game to come to Switch, I would think it'd be a, a remaster or a remake at this point. I don't think like another like Origami King completely new adventure would raise the Switch at this point. Mm-hmm. Do you, because we've kind of touched on it, do you have any kind of content creators or videos or articles, even from like some of our colleagues that you really like or want to shout out? Like, I know we both like the Completionist and I talked about Arlo does a lot of Paper Mario videos and some of the speed runs I've watched, but anything from you? Sure, yeah, we, we, we definitely touched on a few of those. Um, you know, it's hard to find people that specifically like to talk about this game, you know, so it's, mm-hmm. I think you hit on pretty much the big ones. I can say there's a, there's a, there's a streamer that I, um, he doesn't stream as much anymore because he works in the game industry and that kind of keeps him busy, but his YouTube is, and Twitch is Rising Superstar Liam. He did a playthrough of um, the original Paper Mario, which I quite liked. And then, I don't know if you're familiar with the YouTube channel formerly known as Super Best Friends Play, but once they had all split up and did their own thing, uh, one of the former members of that Wooly Versus did a full playthrough of the Thousand Year which I've seen most of, I haven't finished it yet, but I was quite taken with that playthrough because, you know, he might, like many other people, had just heard of the legacy of Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door, and went into it with pretty much blind eyes and going through it. He just had a great time with it. And that's, it's a playthrough I recommend if you're willing to sit down for a playthrough of uh, such game. Um, Cause you know, if you're a fan of the completionist, like we are, they have mm-hmm. like a big group called normal boots and they did this show a couple years back called madness. Oh my like, God, madness. I missed that so much. Oh man. I like my favorite thing on YouTube by far. Like when they did the GameCube series, and I'm I, not to spoil it, but I think Nintendo or um, Paper Mario won. It did. Whole, Thousand Year Door yeah. won. Oh, yeah. I was so happy. I that, retweeted the hell out of that to anyone that I would made listen. a whole article on it. I and they retweeted it on their 
on their Twitter and stuff. It was like, nice. man, this is like one of the coolest moments of my career so far. Mm. And I got to talk to, to Forrest Lee and he was a oh, cool wow. guy. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if you, if anybody watching this, please go check that out. They said like one day when they can all get together that they'd like to continue it. Man, one I can't of my wait. favorite, one of my favorite shows on YouTube by far, if not my most favorite. Every time they um, would come live, like I was like, okay, I need to stop everything and watch this madness episode. Yeah. I've never really done that for a YouTube video series. Like if I see a video series I like, I'm like, okay, when I get a time, I'll do it. I was like, madness, like, okay, am I doing anything right now? No, cool. Let's watch this. I need to see Man, this. I'm so glad you love it because like so many people, like I I talk to you and they'd be like, oh yeah, it's it's cool or I'll check it out one day. And it's like ah, just please watch it. I want to talk about it with somebody. I'd love to do something like that with other people one day, just like that style. Oh, let me know. Fun. I will definitely be on your madness, your your mad, pseudo madness panel, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to everyone involved, but one day we're gonna steal the idea because it's it's just so much fun. It's it's great. Um, I, I think we've <laughs> really touched on, on most things. Do you think Nintendo will really ever go back to this style of storytelling or, or kind of, I guess, gameplay? Like, I, I don't really think Paper Mario is ever going to return to this, if I'm being quite honest, as, as much as it saddens me. No, I think you're right. I, I do think you're right. I think... You know, it does sadden me as well, but I do think that um, this it will it will live on in like this these spiritual successors that exist out there. But I mm -hmm. think as far as Paper Mario itself going back and doing this, intelligent systems coming back and doing this, no, I think that ship has unfortunately sailed. But that doesn't mean that the adventures that we that are still exist out there can't be enjoyed by people. And really, you know, th this game exists. Like it's shame that there won't be anything quite like it ever again. But like that's I I. I don't necessarily lament that as long as I can still enjoy the adventure while it exists. And that's just main, the main reason I just want this game available on more platforms because, you know, our time has passed. We've enjoyed this game. We still enjoy this game whenever we replay it. But there's still a lot of other people out there who have yet to try this game. And for them, this would be a completely new experience. And I envy that because it's a great adventure, especially on your first time. Again, that in the first Paper Mario game. I just really desperately want this to be available to more people so they can hopefully have the same kind of experience and love for the games that we do mm -hmm. it is, and that's enough for me it's just one hell of a ride it is oh man we're past the two hour mark Brandon thank you so much for doing this with me it has been I, a pleasure thank you for inviting me this was an immense pleasure and I'm glad I could finally like spend like a, a ridiculously extended amount of time to talk about this <laughs> game with someone else that actually cares because that is very difficult to find honestly well yeah the you know this one especially was a lot less popular than Origami King is now right Origami King blew uh, us out of the water in terms of sales Oh yeah, I mean again, this was on GameCube. This was not this mm -hmm. no matter how good or bad this game was, it was never gonna touch you know, Origami King was on a successful console, just straight up. So of course it was just gonna sell a lot more. Hell, Super Paper Mario sold better than Thousand Year Door, but that was on the Wii, which was also a very successful console. It's just yeah. it this the game if a game is on a console that people have, it'll sell. More of the most part. So hopefully Thousand Year Door gives a second chance. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to plug before you go, man? 
sell yourself. Sure, yeah. So if anyone wants to keep up with uh, the escapades of me and my wonderful team, our lot of articles are on hbcritical.com. We have many articles about, you know, mostly gaming, but we also talk on stuff like uh, books, animes, shows, all that good stuff. And we have a definitely for a definite focus on diversity, so check that out if that means anything to you. That's on hbcritical.com. Check our stuff there. Um, we have podcasts that come out every week. It's HP Critical. It's all on your it's all on your favorite um, podcast hosting uh, platforms. You can also find the video versions of the podcast on HP Critical. There's a space in between HP and Critical for the YouTube channel, and we also do streams three to four times a week. So if you want to catch that, where I'm mostly the host, that'll be on Twitch.tv/HPCritical. Got all kinds of games going on right now, so definitely check what's going on. If you're curious about the stream schedule, what's going on this month, we post the stream schedule every month on hbcritical.com. So you can check what's going on the month of May, see what's going on there, and, you know, I'll post other articles in future months for what's going on those months as well. Perfect, man. Thank you so much. Uh, Everyone, please, please go check out HP Critical and all the work Brandon does because it's amazing. I recently showed up on their podcast as well and it was you did like it man it went so well it was so much fun we had great chemistry great time uh man we also got to get you on the the simply anime podcast too as well. i can't that, that i can't wait blast. to talk some anime with you guys <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen that has been our episode on paper mario the thousand year door i've been your host sterling silver and can't wait to talk to you guys again soon thank you for supporting us we love you End of chapter. Bye-bye, everyone. End of chapter. I'll put the music in.